Hello and welcome to the Andyplex. This is episode 8, the last, the last Unicorn Podcast. First animated film we'll be talking about on the show. Very, very, very special guest, dear friend of mine, collaborator of many years, Mr. John K.D. Graham. He's a director, writer, producer, and he's also embarked on a very special mission as of late to protect and find homes for lost cats in New Mexico. I'll let him tell you all about that soon enough. Uh, hello, everyone. Oh, hello, John. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. There you hello. are. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for just wanted to make sure in. that I said hi. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I could just do the show without you. I know so much about you because I've known you for so long. 13 years now, I, I want to say, somewhere in there. Um, that crazy. sounds right. I feel like at this point, you'd be comfortable doing a sock puppet version of me and probably getting right what I was going to say. And actually, I'd like to see that, so we should discuss. Let's just do that now. No, I could, I could, <laughs> not, could not pretend to uh, mimic such a complicated, unique snowflake such as yourself, John Graham. Uh, thank you for beaming in remotely. I'm here in Los Angeles. You are in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, correct? I am. I'm not sure if that was a compliment or an insult or both, but I really like it. <laughs> Either uh, way, I meant it as uh, a compliment. I am in. Um, I am in Alamogordo, New Mexico, and uh, specifically outside of Alamogordo, in a village called La Luz. I'm actually outside of La Luz, up a canyon called La Brasita Canyon, and then I'm actually further than that down this dirt driveway that looks like it's going to drive you out in the middle of nowhere for like a Breaking Bad shoot or something. <laughs> Yes, I know. You've been the, uh, here, you know. Andy has been here many times yeah. for different shoots of all sorts, all kinds of crazy shoots, and most of them involved us camping out on the property to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Still, like, while shooting. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm getting really nostalgic just seeing, uh, seeing the background right now on Zoom here. You're in the uh, garage. I'm, and, in, uh, I'm in my dad's garage, yeah. which is actually, if you remember, when we were here, I believe... Um, I don't think it was, was it for Home Sweet Home or was it for Max Mitchell's movie? But, sorry, there's a fly thing because we've got lots of kittens and flies going on. But there's that plug up there in the ceiling. Yeah. In the middle of our garage, there's this plug in the ceiling. And Andy and I had rigged up some china balls and, like, you know, literally cut the electric cord and connected sockets and made these china lanterns, if you will, for lighting. Right. And uh, we both were ready to test them. And <laughs> somehow we knew to be worried because we were afraid to plug it in. My dad comes into the garage and he sees what we're doing and he, he finds out that we're nervous to like plug it in because it was like a live socket so as soon as it plugged in it would turn on you know he goes oh good grief johnny he's like takes it and plugs it in and the whole second and, like, yeah. the power goes out. <laughs> i remember that so well and yeah was it i might have been horror in the wind i think that was my first time down there you were uh your director director of photography on a movie called horror in the wind uh for max, max mitchell, mitchell who's hilarious uh hilarious scripts i got to the very first day on it, I think I was the, maybe the assistant director and basically just came down to work on it That's and right. help, help you out. And uh, and then they ended up putting me in the movie right away. And I got to be in like the Alamogordo newspaper. I remember I was tied to a tree. That's right. And uh, That's right. That's right. You were a villain. Yeah. Were a villain. Yeah, I was a villain. I was like chasing the main characters. You were a henchman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I got to drive around right. on the so uh, the Alamogordo um, 
oh geez, the 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 airport. I remember we were like doing a driving shot, and then you were like, okay, now we got to shoot the plane stuff, where they wanted like the main character to be like landing the plane really badly or like freakily uh, coming down, you know, on this like very small like one engine plane. And I remember uh, it was like, all right, time to do that stuff. Um, and then you were like, hey Max, who's the director writer, main producer? You were like, hey Max, uh, I need I need I need someone to help me in the in the in the plane is okay if uh is okay if andy comes along and i was like oh my god i'm gonna get to go on the plane and i didn't know that the landing was supposed to be so shaky and we're coming down in this tiny plane rick Rick was shooting with me because rick was our gaffer so yeah he knew right we were shooting both shooting out either side of the window but no one told you because it was sort of like we realized we get you on the plane with us and we did need you too in case we needed to hand the camera oh yeah yeah that was very very much just like such a it was totally like such a last minute thing that I can totally see how you didn't know that detail. Yeah. And we're coming down. I'm like, well, I'm going to die right now, but at <laughs> oh, least yeah, I got to be in this awesome, awesome plane. Job. Yeah. He was doing an awesome job making it feel scary. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, man. Horror in the wind. That was, yeah, that was probably what? Oh eight or like, so you and I met on a, we were living, uh, yeah, we were living in Santa Fe, New Mexico 2000s. at the time. Between 2007 and 2008, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was living in Santa Fe. Were you in Santa Fe then? Yeah, I was in Santa Fe, and then I moved to Albuquerque, and I think you stuck in Santa Fe for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 because then we did Horror in the Wind there. But yeah? we did a show we called Kid down. Nation, which we were both PAs on. Kid Nation. Bonanza Creek Ranch, where, where like, they filmed a lot of Westerns right. and stuff. Um, That's where I met you and Richard King and Richard Galley, a lot of the yeah. people that are in my filmmaking circle and world and just totally. creative people I know, you know? Heck yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Um, there was there was a, it was a magical time. There was a lot of like really cool people that connected. Really was magical. Period. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, like you guys got to understand, like shooting this uh, reality show, it was it was meant to be like you know these kids surviving in the wild west alone. Kid nation. You know? Yeah. They weren't alone, but really, the documentary should have been about us, us PAs. Like, I know. That would have been it would have been way way better because we had all these rules. We couldn't be near the kids, but some of all us right. could because. Of clearances we got and then sometimes that you would get put into situations where you know you might be next to a near kid and you had to kind of like almost like shield yourself and like hide in a corner or something like it was just so <laughs> odd and then you know we have to go clean up the bathrooms and they'd be destroyed and not by the kids by the crew members <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we had like remember the dust storms oh man had, like, yeah I literally do. we had to be so battened down with cloth like i had a uh like one of those kind of, oh, I don't know what you call it, but you see them in like Marines wearing it in movies, like kind of a fisherman kind of hat thing. Yeah. With like a cord, draw cord. And I had like the draw cord pulled up tight under my chin and I had a, a bandana stuffed into the hat and then around the side of my face and through the cord so that it was like, you know, my whole face was just a bandana, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that was the only way to survive like some of those dust storms because we had to be out there walking around doing stuff. And it was literally like, you know, gray out. I don't know what you call it, dust out. Yeah, no, I remember like, oh man, we, everybody on deck, like they'd call us on the radios and we'd jump on the gator. I remember just driving around on these little gators, like little, these mini Jeeps, essentially grown up power wheels. That was fun. And I was like, this is yeah. worth the price of admission for me. And yeah, uh, that was fun. Yeah. So I, yeah, we were fast friends and then we started working on each other's movies. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then Horror in the Wind came and that was a feature that you were, you were the director of photography of. And then uh, not too long after that, uh, we started making more features together. I remember the very first one, which uh, was filmed where you are right now uh, on the ranch in La Luz was um, Home Sweet Home. Home Sweet Home. Yeah. Yeah. So Home Sweet Home, consequently, was um, my 
personal first endeavor in future filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And um, Alexandra Boylan and I kind of thought we should make it so that we could show people we could make movies so that we could go make a movie. Yeah. You know, and so right. like, the whole idea of Home Sweet Home was like, well, let's make a movie so that we can show we can make a movie so that we can go make movies. Yep. And um, yeah. And so we basically just got a lot of our friends like Andrew, Andy and Rick Galley and you know, a lot of other talented people, also actors um, to come out. And we pretty much all like worked for free and sacrificed and, you know. Uh, did it for the love of trying to do it. And consequently, Home Sweet Home turned into a movie that we were able to sell to Image Entertainment Yeah, for like $20,000. So it's not a huge explosive deal, but for a movie that was made for nothing, thinking that you were trying to make a movie so that you could go out and make a movie for someone, that's a pretty good deal. You know? Yeah, very good um, deal. Basically, it paid itself back, essentially. Like, totally. You know, and it, it, got, uh, hard to, it got a lot of people going, and um, it got you, your direct your directing career on, on the roll, and still going strong uh you're on your what your oh geez i'm losing count of your features now mr john graham uh, i think that fifth or sixth coming up uh, you know what's <laughs> funny is i knew it the other day i feel like <laughs> fun with numbers yeah so that was uh that was 2010 i think it's gonna be our sixth one or the one coming up is our sixth one wow, wow which now in the time of covid you know we're trying to figure out yeah. exactly what that looks like and when it can happen and how to yeah do you guys were uh we're gonna head down to georgia by now, you would have, in the other timeline yeah. before COVID, we, you would have, we been would there. have already been wrapped. We would have already been done. Oh wow! In the time that we've been in quarantine, we would have gone to make the movie and come back. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, yeah, well, you know, explain. You can never uh, really. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Cut you off. No, I was going to say, like in life, you know, and this is true for filmmaking, but in life, you can never really prepare for every possible thing. You know. That's true. So, um, I guess in some ways, we were fortunate. We weren't caught in the pincer of it in some middle ground that would have ruined us or something. Yeah. So for sure. Because now we have the ability to make a decision as opposed to being thrust it upon you. Yeah. And honestly, that's going to tie in in a way to the movie we'll talk about later. Last unicorn. I love that. There's a little bit of that inherent to the story. Actually. I didn't think about it until now, but, um, so yeah, you were going to say, uh, talk about where I am now right now. Yeah, actually let me back up. Um, where are you from? Mr. John Graham. Well, I'm originally from uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico. I say Alamogordo, but again, this this house that I'm in is the house I grew La up Luz. in. La Luz, yeah. And then La, up in La Luz Canyon. And then when uh, when I was nine, we moved to Alaska. And we lived there for about three and a half years. And we moved to Louisiana. It was about 11 and a half. And I graduated high school there. Went to school in Savannah, Georgia, at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And some summers I would be... Some of those summers leading up to that, I'd come back to New Mexico because we, we were renting out this house while we were gone. So we'd check on it and visit friends. So I've always had New Mexico close to the heart. And then um, during our time, then after I graduated, so I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design and learned filmmaking. And uh, I'm kind of breezing through some of this stuff. We could always talk in more detail if you want. But um, uh, didn't know I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I always was a storyteller, if that makes sense. And I'd always used film on and off as a medium, but not really ever thought about it as a thing that you could do, you know, to me, that was sort of like being an astronaut. It's like, well, yeah, of course everyone wants to be an astronaut, but how, how do you really become an astronaut? Right. You know what I mean? Make um, it a reality. NASA Blueberry would probably say, oh, well, here's how, you know, because now they actually have like a real young, cool astronaut that's telling us these things. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, if you haven't followed NASA Blueberry, by the way, you should do yourself a favor and go follow her. That young lady is super cool. She is. And she's going to be the uh, first human on Mars. So cool. 
it's amazing. And she knows it. Like, how weird is that to know that? Like, man, it's funny huh. it, with, with us trying to make it. We were trying to make a movie, like we said, and we're still trying to make it in this time of COVID. And there's a huge amount of responsibility inherent in that. And like, how do you know that you're not choosing a one way ticket? And this is a bad idea. How do you know? And I don't mean that depth wise necessarily, even just like, you know, if something goes wrong at a low budget level, you can be in a lot of trouble, you know? There's a lot of there's a lot of weight. It's not like a lot of studio movies, you know, they'd say, yeah, well, you're in a lot of trouble if you're over budget, but they can just flush you with more money and they will. But if you're on a low budget movie, you know, if you don't have like a lifeline, you literally have to sail that ship with what you got. Yeah. And that's what my team and I have been able to do every time and still somehow turn out a movie that, you know, makes people happy and can get investors back money, hopefully, and stuff like that. But it's a lot of responsibility, you know? Yeah to know that it's all on your shoulders. Again, this is going to tie into the last unicorn. Absolutely, man. You know, this idea that all this weight is on one, one, not one person. I'm not saying it's on me. One person That's not accurate, but it's a good metaphor. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, uh, I'm obsessed with metaphors. I'm obsessed with allegories. Um, in fact, they're calling me Andy allegory, Andy flex or Andy L Andy flex allegory. Cause I'm always looking for the, the allegory and everything. And that's where I really get my, my thrills when we're, when we're diving deep. As Phil Gawthorne, my first guest, called it uh, on the Fog episode, I'm always in his debt for the term deep dive, and because uh, that's really what it is. And I like I don't like to exclude anything. I like to explore it and really riff about it. And uh, I'm very excited. And you really looped me in on this movie, Last Unicorn. I think I saw it a hundred years ago when I was a kid in Montessori school, where I, you know, on the after school program mm-hmm. they'd show us movies and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, but I really just feel like. Uh, I'm really new to it, and um, we're going to watch it again you know, today and talk about it soon. I uh, I really think it's a really powerful movie, and it's very, very, very ringing. Everything's just kind of heightened and ringing true right now in this time that we're in. It's a very, it's a very time. It's a time mm-hmm. of consciousness shifting um, daily, even, and it's tumultuous and it's wild. Uh, but I think that. Uh, this movie really taps into that whole idea of the consciousness shift. And anyway, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 10 years since, gosh, it's been about 10 years now since we embarked on filming Home Sweet Home, correct? It was 2010? I want to say. Crazy. Almost? Yeah, I think it was 2011. Oh, okay. So yeah, it'll be years. 10 years. In like six months, it'll be 10 years. Wow. Because <laughs> we filmed it in like January. We filmed it like right at the beginning of 2011. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're about to go into your sixth feature in almost ten years. That's that's really fast. That's really 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 fast. So you've it's 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 remarkable how quickly we've been able to get movies made. Yeah, um, I think part of that's because we 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 do we do approach it from a very streamlined standpoint. You know, mm-hmm. um, like my post team does not have hundreds of people involved in it. Yeah, it's a very small group of people. You know. Um, and I'd say then production and shooting. I mean, you've been on movies and we did the app game together. Oh which, yeah. Um, your pizza adventure. at some point we need to talk on offline about getting back onto YouTube or something. Yeah, I and know. It's definitely, it looks yeah. like we might have time to work on that now in the future. If you know what I mean. Yes. Agreed. Now that's, so, uh, um, we did this choose your adventure thing. I, I first came to LA, John, uh, John and Alexis had come to LA and, uh, after home sweet home and I, I was in New Mexico a little bit longer, but then by the time I came out, it was pretty much like, Hey Andy, you want to do this thing with us, this choose your own adventure app game. And we actually got it made. So, uh, it was crazy. crazy. I mean, dude, that was like mad scientist stuff. I know. And it's not in the sense that we, like, we didn't reinvent anything. And when it came time for the programming, we found someone that 
you know, was like us that was scrappy and young, this, you know, guy, Noah Carrera, who could get in Hungry. and like, help us. Like he, he was able to do for the programming what we were able to do for the filmmaking and figuring that right. out. Um, so it wasn't like we broke the system or did anything amazing in that sense. But what was incredible was that with really like no backing and no previous concept of how to do this thing, like we all literally just figured it out. I know. And it was complicated because, you know, if this was one of the scenes in it, it would be that we sit down and then there's the, the option of do you want to stand up and go look at the cats or do you want to keep doing the call? Yeah. And then it would just keep, they would keep splintering, splintering from there. So we, we'd have to shoot like all day inside the garage to make like 10 or 20 different videos of things that might happen in here, including ways that your pizza got destroyed. Yeah. You're trying to deliver pizzas and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The app game uh, is definitely something that I am really proud to have been a part of. And I, I'm really, we definitely, I think, owe it to get it back on some kind of platform. Um, we, it was on, um, successfully, I still kind of in shock that, not that I doubted us, but that it was actually on the app store for a while as a playable thing. Um, yeah. And when, when it came out, it was like asking people to download anything on Wi-Fi was kind of a, was kind of a big deal, but again we're way ahead of the way ahead of the curve yeah, I mean, and uh, the now game it's like, like no big deal yeah at the time it was 700 megabytes and so that was hard to convince people it was a good idea now people have like fifa soccer and all kinds of stuff that are like multiple right. gigabytes you know yeah but i mean i still balk at that so um i think uh yeah i think also it's just it's better suited for like a youtube kind of thing where it's just kind of like you casually sit and watch through it you know so yeah anyway we'll look into it yeah but, um yeah, so that was like that's you know on top of, and I would say that's like making a feature film, if not more than one feature film. Uh, so that was quite an endeavor in itself, it and was. it was literally just Andy and myself, Alexander Boylan and Raquel Cantu. Yeah, um, all people who had worked on Home Sweet Home, also. Right. Um, and I mean, it was just literally it was just the four of us. We did everything. We took turns running camera and boom and yeah, like everything. It was awesome. Oh man, it was it was such a joy. I got to play uh, the nerdy kind of Jerry Lewis inspired uh, uh, pizza boy. Um, you know, first day on the job, stars in his eyes. Uh, and I remember approaching the character was just a real. He was kind of a clown, but I approached him more of like a lovable, like hopelessly positive. <laughs> and I feel like I've just you know, he enjoyed me. playing that so much. He was great, dude. You were so funny. He, you know what? He really reminded me of like a young uh dad from honey i shrunk the kids or something yeah rick moranis <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness that's yeah. high praise but not or... him specifically that character he played, yeah you know what I mean? right totally like that's 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 kind of in the vein except i mean you obviously had your own thing going but that was sort of the way i, I saw it a little bit yeah um oh man it was fun yeah it was such a blast i played a homeless guy oh yeah and your your uh, beard i remember you was... grew your beard in, even when we did post and then we went back to shoot i think some more we needed some reshoots and in the medium, you had allowed your beard just to just go. And I'm, I'm chasing well, you right now. I think that we mostly. Yeah, yeah, dude, you're getting in the vein. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that, yeah, that was good times. That was a lot of work. It, it was. was so fun. I think what's important for people to hear is that both Home Sweet Home and that app game, both those projects were made on our own dimes yep. and we weren't getting paid to do that. Right. Like that's, I think, really important to understand is like sometimes to become successful or get where you want to go or even just do something you love, you have to sacrifice. Yep. And I, I hear a lot of people saying, Oh, well, how do I get this? Or how do I get this given to me? Or how do I get permission? The answer is you just got to go take it sometimes. Yeah. You know? Some people are given permission and get their first directorial debut of some 
big Hollywood monster movie or who knows what, you know? Yeah. But that's very rare. Right. Um, you have a lot more, uh, you have a lot more chance of just going out and doing it. I'd say, you know? Yeah. No, I love um, it. And we used, uh, we used what we had. We used your parents' beautiful home and estate with these just rolling hills all around. I mean, you get the scenic beauty. I remember the sunsets on Home Sweet Home. We almost, I think every day we stopped and we were like, sunsets. The sunsets in New Mexico are, are, are just jaw dropping. And I'm it's still I, that I way. Believe it's still it. that way. I'm I like, around sunset, I'm hanging out. Oh, dude, it's so beautiful. I've, I forgot. I'm back here quarantining yeah. um, with my mom because, you know, Sadly, my my father passed away in December. Charles Eric Graham. He was a beautiful man. Yes, research scientist. Very glad a I lot got of to how I am is because of this this guy. Yeah, yeah. He he was a special. Really fan. was. Really is. Um, but you know, he shines on strong in this property, and mm -hmm. even in me. Like, dude, I can. I'll tell you what. I'm really proud of it, and I'm. I hope. I hope he's looking down and seeing this. But I can back that Bronco up and hook up <laughs> a trailer by myself. Yeah. Like I can back it up to just where it needs to be to get hooked up. My dad could never do that. <laughs> but I can only do it from having watched him do it. You know what right. I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. So like I, I got the advantage of doing it from age two because he would let me sit in the car uh -huh. with him. So consequently, I, I was going to say I see the sunsets now um, because I'm usually out hanging out with the kittens around that time of day, giving them love and attention. And that's when they're getting active. Now, the kittens are learning from me the same way. I am literally trying to interact with them as much as I can and teach them. I mean, not just like don't bite me, but like. I don't know. Like, this is how you ride in a car. This is how you don't freak out about a cat carrier. This is a broom. It's not scary. Like, making these cats really well adjusted. It's pretty cool. So cool. Um, like, so I was, I was backing up the Bronco today. So I got Puma, who's going to be the cat that I'm keeping. And I got Puma and I put him into the Bronco with Puma. me. And, like, just, he just hung out with me while I was, like, driving around and doing some stuff. And, like, I want him to be cool with that so that when the day comes that we have to go to the vet or when I'm like, hey, dude, we're going camping and he's an adult, he'll be like, okay, cool. You know yeah. what I mean? That's really good, so, man. I'm excited. Uh, um, yeah, I, uh, your father. I'm, I'm so grateful I got to meet him, and he was really, even when he kind of grumbled on his lazy boy, on his, he's always on his computer, uh, you know, on the lazy boy <laughs> in the family room. And I remember there was so many moments where we were like, Charlie, really sorry, but we gotta, we gotta ask you to move. You're like in the shot or whatever, and he's just. You're talking about filming. Home yeah, in Home Sweet Home, yeah. and uh, you know, oh, he may man, have grumbled here guy. and there, but he was so, so proud of what was going on, and it was. We were like, we're doing it. We're oh, doing yeah. it, man. We're making, like, just like you said, we didn't wait for permission. We didn't, you know, we just did it. And having home sweet home. Yeah. I mean, that got the ball rolling and, and everything. So, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. it was really grateful. Well, I mean, I'm sure you're really grateful to that your parents let you use the, the house. And, you know, when a film set oh comes in, granted small, sure. we invaded, you know. And uh, I remember sleeping yeah. out in the uh, the camper. You guys have that uh, that RV outside. And I was, that was my, uh, that was my lodgings. Yeah. Very comfortable, actually. I slept great in there. I think, I think you and Rick both slept out there. Yeah, yeah. I think you did too. Um, sometimes. Yeah. No, I mean it was a crazy revolving. I mean, dude, we we had two weeks while filming that we, there was no running water at the property. Remember that? Because like, oh it my was, goodness, because it was winter, and so there was one really cold. I think it was right before we arrived. Maybe there was like one really cold night because the rest of it was like mild, so mild that we had to rewrite the script because it was written to be chilly and it wasn't. It oh was yeah. Hot. So like anyway, um, but it's like a pipe broke. So for like two weeks, we had to wait while it was getting repaired or something because we have a well. So it's pretty far away. I mean, it's like way down this hill towards the creek. And so like I think they had to find where the break was. And um, yeah, but we all just carried on like no one complained. You know, the boys all peed outside. And yeah. Everyone else just conserved water in the toilet and would dump water in to flush it once in a while. And 
I don't know how we dealt with number two. It's, I guess we were just careful. <laughs> used water to flush it and just had a lot of water. I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember that ever being but it's like funny. a real it's like, issue. It's like, but... it's, it, this is, it wasn't because we didn't make it an issue. That's what's yeah. cool, though. You know, I think that that, at the end of the day, is why um, certain people are just so important to me in my life to keep around, right? And like, you're one, and a lot of people that I work on movies with, because and I work with again because I like that about them. Yeah. Um. Uh, but like, I don't know. Like, we didn't make it a problem. Yeah. You know, some people would have made it a problem. Some people that would be the only thing they remembered about the film shoot. I think. But those are not the people yeah. that I want on my film shoots or in my friend circles. No, I love you know that, I mean? and that's very very nice of you. And I I feel the same way about you. Yeah. Just um, even with like the app, I was like, oh man. I mean, a part of me was like, well, I've never been part of anything like this i don't really know there was no rule book we we just kind of had to go for it but there was always this like we can do it this belief and just the camaraderie like you're saying and a lot of uh a lot of being on set is like who do you like to be around with all the time and especially when your lodgings are literally where you're shooting um it is kind of this extended camping trip right so uh yeah i mean it's true like you got to keep morale high and do your part to keep morale high and, and, and do your part to be a positive force in the whole process. And, um, and I can't agree more. And I, I love working with you. I love working with Rick uh, and Rich and Alexandra and I'm getting so nostalgic talking about this now. Um, and, uh, I'm really glad that we're, we're, we're catching up via this show and we've had some great phone conversations. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I I think that we we laid some really strong foundations that uh, we're gonna keep paving the way for the future. So so thank you, man. Yeah, and you know that's that's another thing that people need to realize about the people in their life that they work with is, you know, um, there's gonna always be like revolving circles of how things come together. You yeah, know? and um, that's why it's important for people to stay open about. I don't know, creating. You know. Because like right now we're creating, we're creating your podcast, yeah, which is a thing that you have gone out and decided that you're going to do because of the love of what it is you're doing. Like that's remarkable, you know. And I think that I, I would encourage it. everybody to find something to do that with or to try to, yeah, you know, find your thing. Because let's say you even get to ten episodes and you're like, hey, that was enough. I did it. I feel good. Like you know what I mean? Like you've still accomplished a season. Like it's crazy. Yeah, I know. And there's some people that it's awesome haven't accomplished anything and i think that maybe you know i encourage them to try to find yeah no i think i liked what you said earlier it's like waiting for kind of permission and i know the show has really been good for me in a, in a very in a time of great disorder and and uncertainty to have something that i can kind of have ownership of sovereignty of um and celebrate journeys in the in the showbiz world uh, and and really celebrate movies that inspire and go to the positive, same deal, because it's mm-hmm. it's easy to go to the negative and it's easy to be like oh yeah filmmaking's hard or whatever endeavor you're 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 looking at feel daunted by it, but yeah I, I I agree and I think that that's really strong words to anyone's listening you know if there's that thing you've been really wanting to do, just go for it you know um, and whatever it is that is your your passion your love because. Yeah, it's it's really given me a solid foundation to kind of play off of um, in in everything, and and certainly more so in this this time that we're in for sure. So, I love that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're creators, you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
like that's one thing that humans do, whether it's building things that we live in or structures that we worship in or, you know, music that we dance to or stories that we tell each other, you know, like we're creating. And I, I think that if people maybe feel like they're missing something, I, I encourage them to find a way to create something and they might discover um, something very fulfilling, you know? Absolutely. That's what I think. Um, I, I mean, I can't, I have to create. And even if I'm not, my problem is now uh, my creating is also my livelihood. So there's sort of this feeling of, well, I need to make sure I'm only creating if I'm going to make money. And that's not really true. I don't think that way. So don't get me wrong, but that's part of the thought process, you know? And then there's also, okay, well, I need to make sure that if I'm not getting paid for what I'm creating, it's got to definitely be a thing that eventually does get finished and make some money somewhere, you yeah. know? Cause like I got to make sure I make money. Again, it's not all about money, but that's the problem when your business becomes your art too. Yeah, it's making so, a living uh, as well and that bush pull for sure. Yeah. And so what's important is to find other ways to be creative, you know. So yeah. like even raising these kittens, I'm I'm looking at it creatively of how do I not only, you know, help make them well adjusted creatures, but I've it's literally become a documenting them. Yeah, process. honestly, uh your story and your your journey with these cats is uh <laughs> I'm just like John Graham. You are the last unicorn. You really are the last unicorn, man. Like you're just so unique. <laughs> you're such a pure, That's so weird creature. Uh, <laughs> and now you're like doing this. These cats. You're. you're... Explain the cats. Back back up to it, the man. kind of the 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 origin of that, yeah. if you would. So, the reality is that uh, I'll tell you how I got into documenting these cats that are called the Ford Five. Um, I showed up from L.A. I drove my Ford Escape out here with you know some potted plants and some D D books and some my computer and some other random stuff that i needed with me um to quarantine for i don't know i assumed a month or two i wasn't sure so i got out here and you know my mom's here and she's got at the time there were four cats she had uh three that were from a litter that when my dad had passed away were like babies um smudge and soot and ari were the cats and i named all those cats so I'd sort of gone through a kitten process like in December a little bit, like a mini one for like about, a, I don't know, it was like three weeks I was here maybe. There was a time, like I pulled them out of a tire, helped them, you know, get resituated into a, with their mom into a cat situation and then was kind of around as they got older for three weeks. So I'd just semi-dipped my toes into kittens recently, but all my life my cats out here had had cats and kittens and like they're always cycling. It's also dangerous. There's coyotes and hawks and rattlesnakes, and um, some of which play into the story Andy's talking about. But anywho, um, so one of the cats, Lizzie, was pregnant. My mom had said, oh, yeah, she's pregnant, so at some point we'll have some kittens. But, you know, it's like weeks, probably three weeks go by after I get here before any kittens show up. And then finally she's like so fat, we can't believe it. And one day my mom walks in and I'm working on the computer and she goes, I think Lizzie's having contractions. I'm like, no way, really? She's like, she's just out here sitting under the bush. Like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, That's so weird. So I come out and look. Sure enough, she's clearly having contractions. And I'm like, you know what? I bet you no one on Instagram has ever seen anything like this. So I start filming. It. Mm -hmm. And it's not overly gruesome, like the way that the birth happens. It's, it kind of looks like when a cat goes poo a little bit, like you can't really see anything. Um, and then all of a sudden there's a kitten there. It's all wet and cute. And Lizzie looks around a little bit and realizes that she has a moment to breathe. Like it's not about to happen again, whatever this thing is that happened. She instinctually turns and picks up the kitten. She looks around and then runs straight from my Ford Escape and underneath it and up into the fuselage that's like the splash guard below the engine. Uh -huh. 
and it's like this little tiny hole she can get through and now there's a cat inside my inside my car sort of right yeah and this like plastic shelf essentially and it's she's actively giving birth to more kittens because i can hear more and more oh my goodness and i'm like i'm seeing like dude i'm seeing like birthing goop like drip out from under my car and i'm just like <laughs> oh my gosh my car is gonna smell like cat birth like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and then i realized that the problems i'm like okay so i've got to get her out of there so like i realized there's stuff i can use to lift up the car and get her out eventually if she doesn't come out on her own i left the garage open that night my hope was like she's gonna come out but dude then like kittens start falling out from under the car because they can't all fit in there because there's not enough space with the way that like I, right. I'm like on the online looking up images of what it looks like. Like how much there. room is physically there. It's just not there. enough space. Yeah. yeah not, not really. I mean, like Lizzie's half hanging out of it. And like, so kittens are falling out of it. So I just keep documenting as like for the first 24 hours, I'm like trying to every hour, make sure there's not a kitten underneath the car. Cause it's cold. Like they're going to die. You know, Goodness. I didn't want them to die. Like that, that sounds kind of horrific when I can just make sure they don't die. You yeah. Know? So anyway, if anyone's Same interested, thing. you can go to my Instagram at John Katie Graham, at J O H N K D G R A H A M, and uh, in my highlights, there's the Ford Five One, and then I have like one through nine right now, and it's just my highlights. I just kind of collected them and put them there because people had missed some. Oh, of they're it. so good! And it really so is good. remarkable. I'm not bragging. This is nothing to do with me, guys. I'm telling you, the story that plays out from the day these cats are born up until maybe you know the end of my first camping trip is just a weird, thrilling adventure. Yeah. It's just weird. Like I could not have written a better adventure. Right. It's strange. Now they're just really cute. So if you want to see a lot of cute kittens, you can look at the most recent. Oh man. You owe it to yourselves. Everyone to check out John's Instagram and check out so, these videos. Yeah. When was, when was the first, yeah. the birthing? When was that? Um, it was, I, I think it was April, April, first or second that sounds about Friday. right yeah we're, might have been april, we're june 14th it might have been april right fool's day now. that'd be hilarious yeah it was a couple of months ago dude it was oh wait no it was may right no it was may okay I'm sorry may may 1st it was may 1st about six weeks ago yeah because they're yep because there's six weeks on this friday that passed yeah. anyway um there's more to it there's more to why this story gets like really important and uh, i don't want to give it away because it's just really it's kind of I don't know. I think you just need to see it unfold. Yeah. Um, no, that's so cool. I mean, I, yeah. I was joking earlier that if you had gone to make your new film on time, then these cats would have been without their, uh, their buddy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the world. And, you know, to be honest, um, this quarantining made me realize too, that like, I think that I'm going to give up my LA apartment and go nomadic. Yeah. You were saying on the and, phone the other day. I mean, this what I'm going to save in rent, I can use to travel anywhere I want, as I want, yeah. and I'll probably spend less money than rent. Um, I can still home base out of here with my mom, mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of like living with mom, but not exactly. Um, but, dude, I have like, I inherited, like, a road truck camper that I was at one point going to sell. And I was like, oh, but I just hope I can get one road trip in it first. And now I'm like, well, actually, I can, like, drive that up to the Pacific Northwest and go through L.A. and do meetings and visit friends and then go up camp and see my friends in portland and then come back down and camp and then go back to la and then come that you know sounds what I mean? like, so much more fun i don't know <laughs> that's so much I, just, your style I feel like too. i'm at that moment in my life right now well you know what i'm in a unique situation where nothing can stop me from doing this at this exact moment yeah you know and i don't think that there's no downside like i'm not going to lose anything from doing it except for my expensive apartment yeah you know 
And like you and said, it's not uh, even like expensive because it's super fancy. It's just always expensive. It's just a normal apartment. Yeah, I know. It's rough out here. It's a special apartment in itself. It's cool. It's in a double cul-de-sac. It's got the LA River with the walking bridge over it. It's, like, it's beautiful. Cool. You it's got the one up itself, right there, the uh, arcade bar that, that we love. That is, <laughs> I, you know what? I love that place so I much. Know. It's a great record store like I can walk to. I mean, the location's is un- unbeatable, but you know, I guess I can just park my camper van nearby there and <laughs> have the same location. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, people do it. So why just I might park well. in front of the one up and you're there, man. <laughs> why not, dude? Right? <laughs> Coolest, coolest sure barcade in that I've ever frequented. Uh, they always play old movies. The one up, it's man. awesome. Yeah, it's on Ventura Boulevard. If you live in LA, please. Yeah. I don't think they're open right now because they're being conscious about COVID. Which yeah, is yeah, nobody's. We're gonna slowly um, gonna start having like, you know, minimum capacity seating and you know at venues and whatnot. Uh, but it has a giant yeah, space the bar invader. Next to them was open. That looked like yeah. Ignore, cut out what I just said. Go back to what you were saying. Oh no, no, that's fine. I was just gonna say there's a uh, a giant space invader is the, like the lo- is like basically the logo of the place right on the front of it. Yeah, and that's how I always know where yeah. it is. I'm like the space invader. Oh man, it's dude, I so mean, cool. it's a special place. It's it's one of the few gems that I personally know of in LA, like from my own discovery. And it's, yeah, it's just got a real mom and popness to it, but it's like hip and cool, and everyone that works there is awesome. I mean, yeah. You know, like I personally know them. I've gotten to know them from being in the neighborhood, and like just everyone's rad. I really yeah. like them. Yeah, and we did know? the uh, we did um, the end to your movie at your own risk there. The the, fi- the that's final right. scene. That's right. Yeah, they yeah. Let us, uh, they let you guys in there. Uh, that's right, actually. And um, I got to act in your movie. That was up, really cool. Uh, my friend. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. There's a lot of cool cameos of people that we love in that movie. It's a really interesting. The the end of that movie to us is almost like. A high five to all of our friends yeah <laughs> there's so many people that we love that are in those end credits and it's like such a diverse group of people it's really cool yeah it was really um, cool and i'm grateful to be that part movie's of it. actually free on youtube right now oh cool watch it yeah at your own risk the movie's great it's so taut it's a thriller um it's got alexandra as uh you know basically geocaching on a, on a game and, uh, show helena santos helena santos yeah Alana Santos is amazing, amazing actor, also writer and uh, producer as well. Let's see uh, with here. Her wife, uh, her husband, sorry, Barry. Um, and you, you worked on their sci-fi movie too, right? After at your I own did, risk, yeah, I, I went and did. Uh, yeah, I went and did camera operating for them. Okay, so if you go to um, at your own risk movie, that's the uh, the channel. At your own risk movie. Yeah. At your own risk movie, and you can watch it for free there. Yeah, I'll put all this in or the. Uh, that, I think if you look up. Oh. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll put I that. I'll put that all in the uh, um, the legislature in the Sick. episode. But uh, but yeah, if you're listening to uh, uh, John Graham right now, that movie turned out so well. You guys have all these. You you've had a drone. I think you were like the first person I know to own a drone. I didn't even know what a drone was yet, and you were like, "I got a drone." Oh really? And it's like these little mini helicopters, <laughs> and you guys just and they're all. The shots are all throughout your films. Um, the Wish for Christmas one it was like that stunning opening, you know, coming into the church. It was, yeah, like, I was ridiculous. I was very ahead on drones. I mean, I was even like doing like, you know, personal mod stuff to my first drone to try to get it to where I could have video signal and other things. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it all comes prepackaged and it's easier to get it that way. I never graduated to like bigger, fancier drones because the reality is 
if I ever need to go that far, I just hire someone, I think, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, no, I mean, dude, drones totally opened up the indie filmmaking world. I mean, anyone's filmmaking world, but what, you know, used to only be studio budget available, like, you know, helicopter shots, right. hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Yeah. Now you can do for, you know, I don't know, maybe $800 a day max. Or if you, you know, you can do it for even cheaper if you know how to do it. Yeah. It really it's crazy. It, it leapfrogs the production that you just see and you can just feel it. Um, and those, those establishing shots, uh, and yeah, just getting the feel for the town, um, and primarily Wish for Christmas, I think, is uh, what what really pops yeah. in my head. That's some of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's some of my favorite. I love that movie. Some of the best drone work I've done for a movie, probably. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to get back to your your feature your features, and uh, so started you know as most people do in the kind of horror thriller landscape, which. You know, bang for the buck is uh, usually the best move with Home Sweet Home. Uh, but then... Yeah, we just thought it was the most marketable genre. Absolutely. For what we were trying to do. Most forgiving. You know? Right. We were going for horror, but it turned out more thriller. But that's okay, too. Still works. Yeah, that line is uh, it's kind of a, an argued over line anyway. It's yeah. very uh, tomato, tomato, really, I think. Um, but Well, it's very much like our second genre, which turned into Faith Family. And I would argue that that is another genre that you can tomato or tomato argue over too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, exact details of, well, yeah. So you got um, in with image entertainment as the distributor. Um, and then that partnership has, has remained and is still active, which is so cool. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, uh, yeah, they, they bought, um, our, not our, yeah, they bought our second movie then, uh, catching faith, which is a faith-based family film. Um, and uh, that's kind of about integrity and doing the right thing in the right situation rather than what feels good or what society wants you to do. Um, probably something that is on people's minds right now. You know, yeah. we're not getting into anything that's in the vein of, um, you know, that kind of racial discussion, but it's, I'd say it's similar and people are struggling with, do I do this post or do I not? Or do I talk to my family member or do I not? Or like, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, obviously we need to all talk to each other more. So I'm always in support of more talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as, but, uh, as filmmakers and film uh, and film people, I think our, one of our goals is to, is to get healthy dialogue going on topics and get, yeah. you want, I, I think, you know, you want people For to sure. leave the theater or leave, you know, their computer or their, their TV, whatever they medium, they watched your, your film on. And then, you know, thinking yeah. about some things in a different way. Um, yeah. I and mean, that's the whole goal. You know, it's like, um, yeah, if I can get people to think about something, that's what matters. And all of the movies that I make, I try to do that in them. Yeah. Um, really? I mean, yeah. for sure. Uh, Explain uh, the faith the faith then, uh, family kind of transition. Um, well, really, me. it was just that um, we had written we had written a uh, a horror movie. So we had a script for like a ghost movie. You knew about that. Yeah, one. yeah. Um, you were you were involved in that to some degree. The, the nursing then, home um, one, right? There was a. Uh, yeah, and we still to this day have not gotten it off the ground. I mean, the reality, guys, is it can be very hard to get a movie off the ground. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different reasons things do or do not come together. And a lot of people ask me, well, how do you do it? And the answer is I can't really tell you how I do it, but I can tell you how it's happened every time that it's happened. Yeah. You know I mean? Because there's not really, like truly a roadmap. Anyway. Um, Absolutely. So, like, I mean, that one was sitting around. And then I had a couple of ideas for other monster movies that we were going to start writing. 
we just met with our um, sales agent, uh, Instrument International. His name is Ryan. We met with Ryan, and he, uh, we were pitching to him not only that we had the script, you know, the the ghost one, but some other ideas. And he said to us, "Have you ever thought about? Have you ever considered doing a, a faith-based film?" And Alexandra's dad is a pastor, and her sister is married to a pastor, and is, um, you know, she her, her sister writes, you know, Christian um, oriented. I don't want to call them self-help. That's not correct. It's like, um, I don't know, kind of like soul building, spiritual, kinda, spiritual you know. guiding. So yeah, yeah. like yeah, I like that like soul building, self-strengthening kind of. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, yeah, and that's, um, that's good. So Alexander was immediately like intrigued by that idea, and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have any issues with it. I I was more like, well, is that really a thing? Like, can we really get money is to there make a, a market movie? for like that, that kind like, of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea, and you know, he said there was. So he, he basically said, "Look, I think I can raise you sixty thousand dollars if you can make it for that." And we just said, "Okay." So I mean, we had made Home Sweet Home for, I think, if you counted festival expenses, Alexandra and I had spent probably like almost thirteen thousand dollars, I think, out of just our bank account over the year, two year and a half or two years that it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so. You know, if if we were able to do that, then we were like, well, surely we can figure out with sixty thousand how to do that. You know, you know what I mean. Four or five just, times that amount. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we said, yeah. Um, I think in the end it turned into closer to ninety, maybe, but I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I'm probably not supposed to be talking about for the no, that's okay for the for the lay people out there. I think this is a little bit of it's good to know some of this. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, no, I mean these movies have all but been made. But it was also and... blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, dude. absolutely. Don't let me like, let you think it was easy breezy. I was just gonna say I would not do it again. I don't. I don't know if I could or if I'd want to do it. Yeah, again. I was just gonna say like ninety thousand dollars sounds like like if I was like John, here's ninety grand. Like to the what your your brain's kind of like oh that's that's kind of a killing, but make to make a movie uh, with moving parts and uh, it's it's nothing. Yeah, it's I nothing. could do, I could make at your own risk for ninety thousand dollars. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I feel like the like you know it's generally four of us we had a sound designer and an editor like in a composer. I feel like for that amount, I could fairly pay everyone and make everyone feel like it was worth the effort of a lot of extra effort. Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, I know that the industry is dealing with this now with COVID. There's been a lot of figuring out what personnel they don't need, but yeah. basically it's just telling people you have more work than you used to, you know, exactly. Um, it's like doing multiple I jobs. I can say from experience that it's not sustainable. No, it's not. It's sustainable. not. I can say from experience people will get that burned will out. not be able to last very long before. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the industry is obviously anyway. in flux, and uh, we're going to, you know, there's kind of animated projects moving right now, but uh, in terms of live action, it's definitely uh, the Wild West again. Right now, we're in pretty much a pure shutdown. Um, I, uh, I am I'm very hopeful that you guys will get going. Uh, you're looking at, what, the end of July as of now? Well, you're not, you're not in a pure shutdown. Uh, as of July 12th, filmmaking is allowed in Los Angeles. Yeah, as of July, right? In about a month. Yeah, less than a month now. Of, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, June. June 12th. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, that... I think it was June 12th. That I didn't know. Yeah, I think June 12th they said you could... Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Sorry, I keep saying July. I mean June. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I'm we were sure. uh, upon that uh, yet. I'm kind of curious to see as to the, where the sure. business is going to go. I'm pretty sure that as far as... As far as Garcetti's concerned, I think it's okay. And then... Um, cool. The mayor. Mayor Garcetti, right? Mayor? Yeah. And then... Um, um, the DGA and SAG and the unions released their official guidelines 
the other day. And it mostly, um, I feel like it mostly is putting the importance on testing as often as possible. Right. You know, they don't say how often you have to do it. They're like, you should, you know, for your sake, the more you can do it, the better, you know? Yeah. Um, so what we're trying to deal with on our side is what happens when, or if someone does get sick on set, how does that affect us? You know, cause at a, at an indie level, it's a much different story than if you're Netflix, you know, Netflix just says, okay, well, what's the price tag if I have to sit for a week? You know what I mean? Yeah. But the way that we make movies, and you can attest to this, you don't really have time to lose time. You just got to kind of keep keep kicking up all the shots every keep day. Keep moving. You know? Yeah, get something. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's intriguing, you know. And that's the that's going to be the danger that indie films are going to face moving forward. And when I say indie, I don't mean truly just independent. I mean like kind of in a, a smaller sized indie kind of concept. Yeah. Um, for sure. Because you'll have to raise extra money. I think. I think. I think that you just need extra money as a backup plan, just in case. Just you know? have a kitty set aside so. to just dip into when uh, you hit a wall. Yeah, it's like you know the idea of a contingency, but it's like a just a specifically COVID contingency or something. Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, I didn't realize we were actually looking at uh, opening up. Like you said, it's. Uh, I think there's kind of the legality side of reopening, and then the public confidence side of reopening. Like I'm kind of curious to see how quickly things are gonna. I mean, it's definitely a new normal, and it's gonna. Yeah. be a while before uh it's back to whatever kind of semblance of normality but um yeah we're hopefully no uh no more need for another shutdown or uh you know going back into it hopefully we can avoid that fate i know yeah well um yeah there's a good possibility it seems like it's going to tick up again in the fall, fall winter yeah i'm talking about this like i'm an epidemiologist epidemiologist <laughs> or something but it's really just that i've been talking to so many epidemiologists well have you <laughs> like well really? i mean yeah just trying to figure out about making the movie yeah yeah we've got oh wow name these specific names because i don't know if they want to be named but yeah we, we're connected with some different different doctors and different levels of importance of advisory roles with other entities that are like just that we are connected to through community kind of stuff and just trying to find out, you know, how they feel about things, what they see. And, um, most people think there's going to be an uptick in the fall, but what the scale of that is, is really depends on who you ask. It seems to me. You know? Okay. Wow. That's cool that you're, uh, you're, you're tapping into the people that deal specifically Here's with the interesting that. thing, Andy it is the interesting thing. It's like being a filmmaker, not only am I required to get involved with people that I probably, I just normally wouldn't be involved with, but I'm able to get involved with them because what I do is interesting to them. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like I'm not just some guy that's, and I am just, the funny thing is I am just some guy. I'm just some guy that lives, you know, currently in quarantine with his mom and seven cats and, you know, torn up shirts that belong to his dad because he didn't bring enough clothing with him. And like, I am just some weird dude, you know what I mean? But like, because I'm a Hollywood producer, which I am, even though I wouldn't put myself in the same boat as some Hollywood producers, I'm a very different breed of Hollywood producer. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm like uh, the ranger of Hollywood producers. Like if you yeah. put it into like a fantasy setting, I'm a ranger. You know what I mean? If that makes You're sense. You're like the guy from the dark some tower. You're like the warlocks. gunslinger from dark tower. Yeah, dude, I'm like the gunslinger <laughs> for sure. Yes, you are. It's exactly what I'm like. You really are. I've been wearing a, I've been wearing a gun around on my property actually. Yeah? Um, well, partially just because legally I can. It's my gun. I inherited it from my dad. Yeah. I need to get used to it if I'm going to keep it. Like I, I should be responsible and know how to use it and be in charge of it. Yeah. You know. So for a week, I wore it for a week without 
No, okay. So I wore it for four days without ever pulling it out of the holster. I just wore it on my belt in a uh-huh. holster. And I just had to deal with it being on me, everything I was doing from the moment that I woke up until I went to sleep. And then the next two days I wore it and I was allowed to pull it out of the holster and handle it, but not like in any weird, dangerous way, like, you know, pointing it at things or anything. It was more like just to get the feel of what it feels like to pull it out of the holster, to hold it, to make sure that it's, you know, not chambered, to release the mag, to put it back in, to put it back in the holster. And it built up a really cool confidence so that the other day I finally shot it. Um, all I had to do was get used to the kick of the gun and then shooting it was very, when I say easy, what I mean is like I had full control and confidence of it. I wasn't afraid of it. I wasn't afraid of what could happen with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as I had it, I'm not afraid. If that makes sense. I love that. You know, I might be afraid if someone else had it, but it was really interesting. I kind of feel like I treated it like at least in how the Bushido samurai movies that I love would talk about you know their weapons i'm not sure that how legit that truly is or not but that's sort of how <laughs> the i try relation, to approach the relationship it. Like, honestly yeah. yeah i mean well here's the reality too it's like i want to wear it because a it's mine i need to get used to it and be comfortable with it and be in control of it three um i should exercise my right because there's a lot of people in this country who are doing so also so i feel like as who i am as a human being i should exercise my right i want to remind you i am a person cuddling kittens and having them take naps on me <laughs> and leaning across the firearm holstered on me sometimes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean good or bad. I'm just saying like, you know, who I am, I want to represent that right that I have as much as the other people that I don't know if I always agree when I see them yeah. trying to represent. You've always, you know you've always I mean? held tremendous like, respect for, uh, for those, those weapons. And I remember, uh, you know, doing home sweet home and uh, your dad, graciously lent us uh handguns and a couple of shotguns and a couple of rifles if i recall and no no so the the shotgun and the rifle that are in the movie are oh those mine. are yours um got it yeah they're, they're mine i still have them yeah the, uh, the rifle's a 1945 most that's Dark, right which is really it's cool it's antique. it's literally a, a weapon that was made during the second world war wow. and it was ukrainian made i think it's like what's now ukraine and um yeah it has like a stamp on it so you can like see what factory made it and everything it's really interesting and um, the ammo that you buy from it for it is like a 1970s sur- Ukrainian surplus or something. Yeah. <laughs> so you get these like, it looks like giant sardine cans and you have to like, kind of like roll off the top. Like, oh my it's really goodness. Weird. Um, anywho. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it's funny. I'm not a gun nut. I'm not like, I don't usually talk about my guns very much. Um, I'm not into posting pictures of guns and me with guns. And it, it's what you said. It's like, I do respect it. It's, it is literally a tool that is meant to destroy a thing. Yeah. It is not. Um, I mean, yes, it's for sport and target practice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But either way, everything you do with it is destroying everything in its path. You know? Right. So I think that it's important to recognize the power of that. Mm-hmm. And then that that's the exact reason why I have to be in control of it. If I ever needed to use them, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I can't, I can't hope that it's going to work out okay how I use well, it. Well, yeah, I remember, you know, when um, uh, you were directing Home Sweet Home and it was it was time to do some of these gun scenes, uh, you had tremendous respect for it. You made sure everyone knew when it was loaded or not loaded or that there was powder in it or the blank. or uh, And we would do safety meetings. You would do safety checks. And you're very, very, very aware of the dangers and, uh, and communicating that and safety first was, you know, Dude, I can't tell you really when we were impressed. shooting those scenes, like my, I, thanks man. You know, honestly, I think it's, it's a combo of my dad. You know, my dad was the one that taught me everything about anything like that, yeah. you know, about just being careful. And honestly that, that caution, like 
the worst thing that could have ever happened is one of us got injured by it. You know, it was such an unnecessary thing for us to do in the first place. Yeah. Say making a movie, right? This is why like the Sarah Jones thing is so tragic. It's like making a movie is so not necessary compared to what happens if someone gets hurt in the process. I know. Of it. And I understand that like, and, and things happen like, and honestly things can happen tragically. I'm no longer referring to Sarah Jones. I'm talking hypothetically about the world. So don't quote me on anything specific. I'm just saying yeah. that horrible things can happen. And if you can do anything to keep that from happening, that's what you should do. You know, absolutely. And we're only human and shit happens. There's a reason there's a t-shirt that everyone loves, <laughs> but yes. um, it's important to be careful. And I'll tell you what, dude, it was my dad who taught me that kind of thoroughness and it's applied to a lot in my life. And um, uh, with these kittens, so they were born, I'll give you another little tidbit that you'll see in the story. They were born under the Ford escape, right? So two days after they were born, I was able to get it lifted up and uh, I used jacks to make sure it wasn't going to fall because it was like those ramps you drive up onto kind of, you know, so I drove the front wheels up and it lifted up the front of the car so I could climb under, put the e-brake on. And then I got out and put jacks up to where the car fuselage was too, so that maybe that's not the right word, but like, you know, a brace so that if it were to fall, it wouldn't crush me. Guess what? That's what I learned from my dad because it happens. People get crushed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that same kind of carefulness also played into the cats. So I got the cats out and I, I could, I had to stick my phone up in there. Like I could hardly see, oh, wow. I got four cats out a... and we thought we were done and we we're so happy. And, um, an hour later I was about to take the car down cause we got them moved into their new house and everything. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go take the car down. But I just, something told me like, you just need to check one, one last time. time. Just be, you just need to really be sure. And dude, that's when I found Puma. Oh my goodness. Puma was still there. Puma. And I don't think Lizzie would have gone back for her. You know what I mean? I think that Lizzie, she's like barely one years old. She didn't really, she wasn't really, you know, cognizant, prepared to be a mother. I, I don't think she, I think Puma would have died, you know? So, oh my goodness. That's, that's the reason I'm keeping Puma. It's like this kind of this special bond that I found him. Yeah. You rescued him. Um, Man, that's yeah, so, so but, cool. Uh, yeah. Your, your father, such a gearhead, uh, taught me about okay. guns as well, taught me how to use that camper when I was sleeping in it. Um, Whenever we were filming, it was like sometimes when he wasn't at his lazy boy on his computer, he was like on the property, like fixing some pipe somewhere or just endlessly oh, handy, man. crafty and cunning dude. And definitely pass that on to you for sure. Cause, um, he, he did, dude. I, I, there's way more that I need to learn. Um, but you know, my dad taught me, I think the most important thing my dad taught me, whether he knows it or not, was how to learn. Mm. Like I know how to learn and it was actually Alex Boylan, a guy I collaborate with a lot when I do my travel adventure shooting stuff. Another awesome side of the weird world of John Graham that I get to do, but we yeah. can, probably doesn't fit into this podcast. But no, no. this guy no. told me one time that, that he felt the same way. He's like, you know what? Somehow we both know how to learn and not everyone knows how to learn. Yeah. And I would say if you can learn how to learn, literally nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you as long as you have the internet. Like, Cause you're smart enough to know when what you're reading is BS too. And guys, there's a lot of BS on the internet. There yeah. Is. Fact checking. You gotta be smarter than the internet, dude. Yeah. You gotta be way smarter than the internet. Please don't just believe it. If you read it, please. Yeah, absolutely. Critical I thinking. A car is alternator five times. If I had just believed the first <laughs> video I watched instead, I watched like 10 and then picked the three that were right. And then I successfully yeah. did it. <laughs> but I That's guarantee great. you three or four of those were like complete morons putting a video up that thought they knew what they were doing. Yeah, no. And I, I really liked what um, you're saying about learning how to learn and problem solving and critical thinking. And, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick said in an interview that I actually just unearthed, it was like pretty old, like 55 year old interview. He was like, Filmmaking is just endless problem solving and he played a lot of chess and he's like, you know, I always just, 
and just like you said, you got to keep moving. You know, if something you hit a wall, like make a make a turn and and just keep moving forward. And yeah. um, granted, not everybody has a year to make a movie like he did on a lot of his projects, but uh, I really see a lot of similarities there. And uh, you know, when it goes to directing, I think it, it directly applies to directing because you're you really are the leader. Um, you're not always the financial leader, but you're leading the crew more or less. And, uh, they're kind of looking to you for guidance. And, uh, do you feel that directing has been, uh, w- everything you've hoped for when you, since you sought out to do it? Um, is, is it you rewarding know, for you or? That, oh, I, I am, I am unbelievably rewarded by directing movies. Yeah. Um, it's why I don't as long as I'm telling a story that I enjoy, I don't care so much the genre. Um, there's probably some stories I wouldn't tell just because I don't like human brutality and stuff as much. I don't know if I'd be great at that. Right. I um, hear you. But, um, sorry, I just, I heard cats squealing, so I had to get up and see. No problem. Yeah. Up. Make sure that your litter, they get really rough. Your litter's okay. Now. Hey guys, be gentle, <laughs> be gentle. They're starting to get real rough with each other. And sometimes like one will get a good hold on the other one's neck. And oh just man. Be, like crushing the poor thing. But uh, they do it to each other, so it's all right. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that – I think for, it's funny. Directing for me, at least my experience is that I, – I mean, I enjoy I enjoy it in general, and I am very collaborative with my directing style. Mm-hmm. I, I have strong opinions about what I do and don't like, and I have strong opinions about what I want to have happen. However, I always like to hear what the people around me have to say because some, sometimes they will have – an idea that's better than mine straight out, or they might have an idea that's inspired by mine and therefore is the next stage of the development of a concept, mm. you know, and I'm not threatened by that. I think a Good. lot of people can be threatened by whose idea was this. Right. I'm in charge. Well, I, I'm not confused about whether I'm in charge or not, you know, so I'm not threatened by whose I idea like that. <laughs> Does that make yeah, sense? I like that right. a lot. Yeah. I think it's a level of security, you know, and I, maybe it comes from, I don't know. Maybe it just comes from, I don't know. I mean, this, this could get into nature and nurture and all kinds of stuff, but somehow I've learned a humility that I'm okay if I'm not always right. Absolutely. That's Um, great. I've stood up and apologized to an entire crew before when I felt that I'd put them in danger inadvertently, you know? Um, And I think people were amazed by that because it's not common for people to have, that the you know, humility it's hard it hurts and it's scary and it makes you like feel not good yeah you know? even if you should do it it doesn't feel good and um yeah i think that's healthy though you know there's a lot of conversations happening in our country right now about race relations and i think there's a lot of people that are not feeling comfortable about them and mm-hmm. i am a white male that is very lucky to feel comfortable most of the time more easily than most people so this is not in any way meant to be like you know a judgment on anyone feeling uncomfortable. All I'm saying is I think that uncomfortability, no matter who you are, if if you're, if it's through having a conversation, it's probably a good thing because at least you're having it, you know, and that uncomfortability can lead to something, something stronger. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like I just want to encourage people that an uncomfortable feeling is not necessarily a bad thing. I think we've become coddled into thinking that we're supposed to feel comfortable all the time. And the reality of the human experience is that we're probably not comfortable most of the time in the past. Yeah. You know? Like when life was way harder than it is now too. Right. You know? So yeah, now we have a lot more, uh, it's got weird and heavy. Creature. So. No, I love it, man. But, I love it. Uh, you are, uh, bringing anyway, up some really good that stuff. That's part of what's important. That's great. Oh, thanks man. But that's, what's important about life is when you see things that are beautiful and good, 
to really examine them. It doesn't mean you only exist in things that are beautiful and good because then you're not experiencing the world, but it's important to put a lot of value on those things, I think. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, and again, ha having the um, critical awareness, which you know I think you're tapping into and you're talking about your movies and what you're, you're trying to get your audience to be more open about whatever, you know, uh, and granted we're storytellers at the end of the day. And like you said, any genre, as long as it's a good story, I love that. Uh, but we're trying to like spark conversation and awareness and, uh, and also just defend and, and propagate our ideologies that we think are helpful and, and, and good. And that's kind of our, we're trying to, obviously, you know, we want our, want our projects and our enterprises to, uh, do well financially and that's usually one and the same like you're, you're impacting you're resonating it's it's a monetary thing but i think at the end of the day you want to open this conversation conduit you know you want there to be more dialogue and i think that's what's kind of horrifying right now is if people are just going to shut down and not find a kind of safe granted safe space to speak up in the first amendment and we're seeing a lot of protesting going on and most of it's been peaceful and i think that's great uh because we we ought to feel safe enough to to speak who we are, you know, and just because there's dissension in our differences and ideas, dissension kind of denotes conflict, but just because there's different ideas in the melting pot doesn't make it bad. It makes it good. You know, uh, it was just, we have to feel like we're together in a larger sense. Um, so conversation yeah, is so that, important. I think that the first step, yeah, it, it is important. And the first step really is listening. You know, um, one thing that I loved about my dad it was that he was never quick to speak, but he was mm. quick to listen, you know, like, I mean, he way more than I, like, I, I need to be way more like him in that regard. Um, and it used to drive me crazy sometimes. You're like, answer the question. <laughs> but my dad had no need to rush to an answer. And it's something that I think that, uh, I only really am good at doing in very serious conversations sometimes or maybe on podcasts, you know, like, I feel like I have the permission to think about it probably because I know you could, could edit, it, edit it out. Yeah. Yeah. The stakes <laughs> are, the, the stakes are low. But, um, yeah. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that now we're starting to, I'm just, now I'm just wading into territory of white boy talking about a problem that I'm not really, you know, as knowledgeable about as probably other people. But I think that this gets into the idea of us as storytellers, which is that, the, not only do we want to help each other understand and learn, like you were saying about our ideologies and just different lessons through the stories, but inherently that must mean that we want to listen too, because it only one person can tell a story, but anyone can listen, you know? Wow. So that must mean that we like listening. I just made this up just now, but it feels it's good. It's really, really good. <laughs> it's really, you're going to, uh, you're going to take my job after this episode and, uh, Carry no, on. no, not at all. No, Actually, kidding. this is one reason I love talking with you, and we need to talk more. Is that honestly, Andy? This is nothing new for us. You and I would get onto the oh, not at all combos, doing all kinds of things. yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, my show is a celebration of of films that inspire us, and hearing people's journeys that inspired me, and just I, I, yeah, I want to, I want to just share people's stories. I love that element, and um, yeah. So I think I just like to hear what people think about their message and getting it out there. And obviously it's a push pull with, with financial and, you know, sometimes you're just trying to tell a fun story and maybe you're not overly thinking about it, but I think John Graham's all over, uh, everything I've seen. Um, and, uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Just your signature, you know, uh, 
Oh. And uh, you're a very uh, open-minded guy. Approachable human. Yeah, I want humans. I want. I want. I want my stories to be approachable humanistic. That's great. You know, I always try to find what the humanness is in whatever it is that we're trying to say. You know, whether I'm successful or not, I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's what we can relate to because that's what we are. And we've all experienced the same things, whether we know it or not. I think. You know, that. I mean, honestly, that can help bring us together if we can all realize that. Yeah. No, I love that. Bit, you know, I love that. Maybe I don't know. No, that's great. Um, um, that's, you're tapping into the the kind of commonalities, the common ground that will make us human and um, that we're not all so different. And yeah, there's plenty to focus on in the differences, you know, gender and, and race and creed and color and blah, 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 size, whatever. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think our, our favorite stories and our strongest stories that have resonated the most bring us together that way. And I think uh, the one you have landed on, uh, The Last Unicorn, which I'm very new to and very excited to riff about. Uh, I think we're almost there. Uh, is no different, is no exception to that. And, uh, you know, um, the fair, the kind of the lens of the fairy tale and approaching the every, the every person through that lens yeah. and what's so powerful about this stuff. If I can, I want to say one thing about this, um, moving forward, anything I say, I want to be clear that I'm probably going to refer to the movie but I don't want anyone to think for a second I'm taking away from the fact that there was a book first. Yeah. And I read the book when I was, I think, in ninth grade, maybe. I think it was the first time I realized, oh, yeah, I should read the book because I'd known the movie since I was like maybe four or something. Mm -hmm. um, very young. Um, I, I feel like it was really, really close. So I might be wrong about that, but I feel like it was an amazingly close adaptation because it's not a super long book. But I just want to say that if I refer to story in regards to the movie and give the movie all this credit – Keep in mind, I realized the book was first, and also um, it's just easier for me to refer to the movie. And often, the movie's packaging of it is what's how I'm responding to the story. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I, I love that. And uh, Peter Beagle, the author of the novel, went ahead to uh, pen the screenplay, and he said he he just was like, I don't know who else can can do it. I think I ha I have to do it. I I have to be the kind of shepherd of of, of this IP. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and yeah, uh, there. Things had to be trimmed because even though it was a shorter novel, mm -hmm. um, which I haven't read, and we can definitely get into some of the differences if you want. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't recall the novel well enough to do that. So I think we'll just stick to the. Yeah, movie. I just wanted to say I'm not taken away from what the book totally. was. Totally. By talking about the movie. Yeah, it was uh, 1968, um, and then the film was 82. So there was a period, and it became a classic and a cult classic on its own. And that really is what ushered it into being. Uh, kind of marketable yeah, so IP to, to make it into a 82. movie. 82. Yeah. 82. So I was born July 21st, 1982. Year so, of your birth. Um, I don't remember how old I was. I think I was four years old. Huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I just said the year old. of your birth. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, another one more interesting thing before we get into this movie that I think people have to understand. There, the, you asked me to pick a movie when, when you asked me if I do this podcast. And I think the way you put it was, one that was formative to you or how did you phrase the question? Yeah. I, I asked something that is definitely formative and inspiring, uh, on your journey as, as an artist. Um, okay. so I, I took you literally with formative and inspiring yeah. because it's, it is very possible that the last unicorn is one of the first movies that I ever saw possibly. And I'll say why. Well, I can't say ever saw, but let's say that ever owned in a home VHS kind of situation, mm -hmm. right? Let's say that way. Because I think I was four years old when we got our first TV. We got like a little Zenith 
not Zenith. Sorry, that was my dad's monitor. We got no, it was a Zenith. It was like a Zenith, um, ten or maybe thirteen inch. Yeah, yeah, I think it was probably thirteen inch, like little TV. Like I had a handle right, you on could the carry back. it around, you could pick it up and carry it somewhere. Uh-huh. You know, heavy, heavy, but you could still carry it. Um, and we had a little a VHS player. And then, um, look, I don't condone this, guys, but as a kid, I did have taped VHSs, taped from TV. As a filmmaker now, I don't condone stealing an artist's work because they worked hard and they, it, sometimes the artist gets paid last, so it needs to make the most money possible to get the artist paid. It's a very messed up system. Um, those days are numbered, I think. So goodbye, distributor has taken all the money. Um, but uh, anyhow, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I think that it's possible that I had this as the first VHS, like one of the first we ever had. And I know that there were certain movies I would watch over and over again as a kid. Uh, Ghostbusters one, definitely the last unicorn. Like, you know, and some would get added later as I grew up, but Monty Python, believe it or not, was one of the first ones we had. And I watched that religiously. So I'm a very strange person. Thanks to this. (laughs) But, um, I watched it like cartoons too, but anywho, so I watched the little, the last unicorn for sure, probably since I was four years old. And I would say consistently my Nana, um, my, uh, she's like my grandma. We're not blood related, but she is my grandma, you know, helped raise me. She was telling me about a movie that I used to make her watch with me that would scare me and something about hooded characters and stuff. I suspect it was the last unicorn when I watched it again recently. And, um, just, it feels like that's probably what she's, like the mommy Fortuna scenes and like stuff like that. I think that's what she's talking about. But so in, yeah. in a sense, like this movie was very early. There's some, there's some real freaky dark stuff in this thing. Body. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I'm, it is, dude. I, I, I honestly, I, I've, I've, I've learned my lesson not to, uh, go in, um, with any kind of expectation or like, Oh, this is a kid's movie. So therefore I can, I can whatever, take a break or, or not look at it with the same, um, you know, boldness. And I'll tell you what's it, funny. This dude. Movie blew me away, dude. It's, it's amazing. And I can't remember if I did. No, you know what? A friend of mine, Jarrell Morales challenged me to do like the 10 films and 10. Oh, Jarrell. I miss him. Um, I love him. I, I warned him, another collaborator of ours. I warned him. I was like, FYI, I, I, I may not be good at this because I, I suck at these kind yeah. of things. And I kind of lose steam real quick. Like I never kept journals. I just can't do it. I can't keep up the thing. Um, so anywho, um, the first one I posted was a, was a screen from The Last Unicorn. I think it was before you invited me to do this. And so it's been on my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was I was amazed when it, with that post, like how many people responded to it, being like, oh, my gosh, I love this movie. Yeah. Now, granted, a lot of them were girls, but <laughs> I'm in touch with my feminine side, so that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very emotionally in touch, I will say, which I think is why this movie affects me. I love um, that. But it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's a, mov- it's a movie about, um, about loneliness and loss and – belonging and um trying to find you know yourself through people like you like it's it's interesting and the main character is so innocent and also like so strong you know like she's not a wimp kind of like towards the end she gets a little wimpy but i think it's you know well dark night of the soul yeah i think it's she she's there's a we'll talk about it more specifically but you know she does kind of forget and uh I think when she's kind of forgotten who yeah. she is, then she doesn't really know. It's kind of hard to form decisions and know what you're doing when you don't know who you are. And I think you tapped into Man. that uh, theme. That that's a major theme Isn't of the, it the whole piece. It is. I mean, it's incredible though because I don't know. It's just like to me, it's like such a striking a chord, human level thing. You know, wanting to belong and not knowing who you are. Like mm. wow. 
Like every adolescent knows that story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's uh, yeah, as a four year old, I think I understood that. Before we get any deeper into this, why don't we uh, why don't we take a break and watch the film? Um, we'll, we won't be in the same room, but uh, and uh, then we can uh, take a deep dive with with the fresh in our minds. What do you say? Okay. Yeah, there's still parts that make me cry, so hopefully I'll be dry eyed by the time. Oh man, I'll be a mess. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna wear sunglasses. (laughs) I will say this, just a caveat to your viewers: if you guys have not seen this, please understand it was made in '82, so it's dated. This, but it's still like there, there, there is just. I, I don't know how to explain it. There's such a vibe to this movie. Just try to like let yourself immerse mm-hmm. in it because the vibe is amazing. The music's by America. I don't know if you like them or not. I never really have paid much attention to America, but now I realize that this is America and I've always loved their music because I've loved this music since I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but. man. All right. John Graham and I will be taking a break to watch the 1982 animated film, The Last Unicorn. For you guys, it'll just be a couple seconds. Oh my goodness, which cat is that on your shoulder, John? This is Bronco. Bronco, he's all white. Oh my goodness, so adorable. Has a little gray patch on his uh, forehead there, next to his right ear. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Is um, it a female? They're all amazing. Bronco's a Bronco's female. A female. I thought it was a boy, but it's a girl. Bronco's named after my favorite Ford vehicle. There it is. Oh man. There it is. All, all right. right. Well, let's uh, go watch. All right. Talk soon, brother. When the first breath of winter through the flowers is icing. When the last eagle flies over the last crumbling mountain. What's the next line? I forget. And the last lion roar. Next to At the last dusty fountain. By America, y'all. Dude. I'm telling you, it's a catchy song. It's so good. You might have butchered it a little bit, but it is catchy. Yeah. It's, it's actually a hard song to sing, too. It's got like kind of dissonant notes in it. Yeah. Which it has, it has a kind of melancholy. Dissonance. Yeah. All right. John, thank you for folding me in into this movie. Thank you for picking this movie. It is the first animated movie on the Andyplex. Uh, 1982. Yay. Rankin and Bass Productions. Very famous uh, group that actually uh, have done some wonderful work that I wasn't even aware of. That they also So it's Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. They created Rankin and Bass. And this was an American, English, and also Japanese uh, collaboration. Um, but Rankin and Bass have done, uh, they did The Hobbit, and some of the, and they did Lord of the Rings, yeah. the animated Lord of the Rings. I figured that the animation looked the same. I thought that animation was the same. I'm, I'm bad, dude. I'm like one of those weird fans that like loves like a band. I'm like, oh, I love The Fray, dude. They're so great. <laughs> and someone's like, well, have you heard their second album? I'm like, oh, I didn't even think to think if they had a second album. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i'm a weirdo so i've never thought to look further so i'm glad you did but that makes sense that animation always looked the same to me. yeah yeah the noses. obviously you know the people the of that era are you know they're a powerhouse in that era and you know they actually also they did some stop motion stuff they did a lot of holiday specials they animated 
the Burl Lives 1965 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special on CBS. No way. Yeah, I watch that every year. The the stop motion? Yeah. The stop motion uh-huh. animation? Same company. Yep. They did stop motion and, uh, and hand-drawn. Dude, that also... Huh. Yeah. That's intriguing, man. Because I would argue that that cartoon... I call it a cartoon, but that cartoon had a very similar kind of forlornness that the last unicorn you know, had. You're right. The kind of the misfits, you know, Hermes and Rudolph. Hermes is an elf that wants to not make toys but be a dentist, and Rudolph is obviously the red-nosed reindeer. Uh, so the differences, and then kind of the feeling of of outcast or a pariah, or and you're you're talking about yeah. you introed it very well with the themes of um, you know belonging and. Uh, yeah, family and loneliness. Right. And honestly, this movie, and I, I, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I really think that it might have beckoned out to you even in this quarantine because I think there's such a – granted, it was formative, and I love how you you, you, you were very quick to, to choose your movie. Uh, it's a really tough question to be like, oh, pick any movie. You know, uh, I was like, oh, man. Um, but This is a new discovery in my life how important this movie so is, important. by the way. but. Not exclusively. Sorry, I don't mean to cut off what you're saying if you want to finish. Um, no, I was just going to say that about me and for movie. me, there's <laughs> so much consciousness shift in society in this movie that, and mm-hmm. I'll turn it back over to you in a second, but my major takeaways no. were um, how there's an element of, well, first off, Mia Farrow as the unicorn really wakes up to the fact that she's maybe the last unicorn there's kind of a she's a little bit of a she's kind Mm -hmm. of asleep more or less like she's kind of just kind of doing her thing very natural obviously the whole theme is there's this is a unicorn that they're pure of heart you know unicorns generally represent purity uh and then there's a a shifting of consciousness into kind of more human she actually becomes human later in the piece but also her perception is different she's like i will be the only unicorn to have regret or to have experienced these things. So she kind of wakes up and I really felt like we're all kind of waking up right now in this crazy 2020 that we're in right now. Um, but then introduce um, Schmendrick, who is definitely my favorite character voiced by Alan Arkin. And he's, he's even says he's a magician. He's not a real magician, but he wants to be a real magician. I'm Schmendrick, the magician. Yeah. And he becomes a real magician as we go on. So there's always like he people does. like trying to be more than their kind of type or more than their caricature or uh, not caricature, their archetype. Yeah, and they're they're not just fitting into a a peg or a, you know they're not fitting into a hole perfectly. Like they want to be more. There's that desire to to be awakened to to grow. Um, Dude, what's what's beautiful is that neither of these people, neither of these creatures, could have accomplished their thing without the other one. And they both were integral in each other becoming what or getting what they needed. Huh. I love that. You know, it's awesome. And they both gave each other hard truths sometimes, you know, it's like that ties into sort of what we were saying earlier. It's like, you know, true life and friendship and things that are beautiful are not just cozy all the time. You know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, like we're in our comfortable. I never thought about it. We're like in our that. comfortability. And then we have to, and it is often painful, but like having a consciousness shift and to be awakened she's like oh am i I really the last unicorn you know we don't we don't fade away hell we do a lot of things we don't fade away that was like one of the lines and it it took the the hunters who were very respectful of the land they were like oh we can't hunt here this is where the last unicorn is this 
we mm. got to let let the less unicorn be. And it's really the the humans mm-hmm. who would normally be a kind of a threat, right? They're hunters. You know, they have like they have uh, quivers with arrows in it um, coming into the forest. And then they're like, no, we got to turn around and go. And then it's it's the unicorn that overhears them. And that's the inciting kind of moment of like, am I really the last? And then the journey to find out the quest. Um, they literally say we're on a quest. You know, Sh- Schmendrick says that. And actually, I watched a really cool um, little featurette. I think it was from about seven years ago, kind of a look back. It's on YouTube called Immortal Characters. Less Unicorn, Immortal Characters. You guys want to check it out on YouTube. But they talk about how uh, Schmendrick literally is a Yiddish word meaning um, person out of their depth. So like the boy sent to do a man's hmm. job. So again, like right. rising up Which to Which is where something. he starts. Yeah. There's that a moment of like, well, I'm, yeah. I'm the last unicorn. I got to go out and find my other people. I got to take this mission upon myself and, and grow and, and really push myself. Schmendrick's the same way. He, his arc is very similar. He's like, I'm just who I am, you know. I'm just making a living uh, with uh, Fortuna, um, Mother Fortuna, right? And uh, yeah, Mother Mommy Mommy, mommy Fortuna. Fortuna, voiced by I Angela think Lansbury. Also. I think they said Mommy. Mommy Fortuna, voiced by uh, Angela Lansbury. He was really really cool character. She's only in the kind of beginning, but uh, to kind of show uh, Schmendrick's world before the quest. But yeah, he's just kind of satisfied using his whatever magic, which he knows it's an illusion. It's all an illusion. That's it's not real magic, right? Um, but they actually do get a real unicorn, and they have a real harpy. So they have like now, once they capture um, our hero, the unicorn Am- Amalthea, which I guess her human name when she becomes human later, but Mia Farrow. So now they have these actual real immortal legend beings that are magical beings. And they even say like, "Oh, you can't, you know, imprisoning uh, imprisoning a creature like that is worse than death, or for it, or uh, you know." And mm-hmm. they they can't stand like once the truth is around real magic, it will evince itself. So once Amalthea came, once the unicorn comes, it's like the catalyst where the truth reveals itself, and uh, it sparks, you know, basically um, what happened, and they're able to escape and. Well, I, I think what's interesting, too, if you think about it, I never thought about this before, Andy, but I like this. I think what they say is something they say something like you can't truly cage something magical. I think that's yeah. what they said. Right. Yeah. What's interesting and that I love about it is nobody was released using any sort of magic. They were released by a regular human who just decided that he didn't like the way it was going. Yeah, you know I what love I mean? That. Isn't that lock, interesting? Right? And honestly, that's. I hate it. I mean, that's speaking to society, man. When people are in the streets protesting a thing that they really just can't stand seeing the way it is, like that, you're looking at that exact same waking, magic, waking you know? up to. And I liked how it was like, oh well, yeah. no, uh, Fortuna's illusions, right? She even puts a fake unicorn horn. I, th- I thought this was brilliant. I really caught this the second viewing, um, just now, like putting a fake horn on a unicorn because people can't see the real magic, but they can see the like, the illusion. So then she actually has two horns. Right. Uh, and then before before yep. Fortuna's seeing, uh, it's after the butterfly tells her what's up. Um, speaking in riddles at first, kind of like Cheshire Cat a little bit, but then from Alice in Wonderland, but then actually very much revealing the truth and talking about the Red Bull and what's going on. And the unicorns have all been imprisoned and uh, you got to go 
you know, they're, they're out there. You just got to go find them and, and release them. Uh, then stumbles upon a human who basically just wants to like, she, she calls her a mare and she's like, mare, I'm a unicorn. Damn you. I'm not a mare. But to him, he's just, she, she's just a horse because she doesn't see the, he doesn't see the unicorn because, you know, doesn't have the sight yet, you know? Um, so there's an element of well, like, like people they, being asleep. I think they, they put it that, that, whoa, no, can't get up here. They, put, they put it like, yeah, people have through not seeing it or not paying attention to it. They've lost the ability to see right. it, you know? And honestly, that's that. the thing I love about this movie is all of these things. It's, it's an example of just masterful storytelling mm-hmm. because all of these things, all of these different kind of themes that we're pulling on are all just very base level human things. They you are. know, like in our society, if you stop paying attention to how things are very closely, you'll just believe the most likely thing that you see. You know what I mean? Right. I think that there's a lot of parallels that you'll see, not just with now, but anytime in human history. With These are just such human things. And what I love is it's the story about a unicorn who's not a human, who is forced into the skin of a human at some point, and literally says, I can feel this body dying all around me. Like, man, what, what a, a powerful story. Yeah. I know. It's like you it's know? a kid's movie, but wow. I wouldn't call this movie light fair at all. Honestly. At all. It is not. But I got to tell you, like – Think about the fact that like now when I'm 30, almost 38, I'm 38 next month, you know, thank you. Thank you guys for the birthday wishes. <laughs> um, I'll tell you my Venmo name and info later for birthday yeah. cards and stuff. But um, no, just kidding. Send this uh, man money. But, He's um, almost 40. Jeez. But seriously, it's John Katie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> dude, I, but think about it. I'm 38 almost. And when you said, tell me the most formative movie you can think of, obviously I've, this has been on my mind and it's not the only one. I have other options for different reasons, but when the word formative, and maybe it's because I'm dealing with these kittens, right? So I'm thinking about how every interaction I'm having with them right now potentially leads to them being a better or worse kit cat later, you know? And so I'm trying to actively make choices that'll improve who they are. So along that kind of thinking, the first formative movie I could think of was The Last Unicorn. It's the first movie that made me feel so deeply. The first movie that I think made me probably self-aware a little bit of me and who I was with the people around me. It's a very poignant movie and they don't rush the telling of it mm. either. You know, you could say it's slow, but it's really that they're not rushing your understanding of it. It's kind of cool. It's different than Hollywood now, you know? Yeah, I know. Now we're, like, we're, we're, we're so obsessed with stimulus and fast cutting and, 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 and yeah, drowning you with, with, with data. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think you're right. It's not a slow movie, but it, it does take its time and it has those beats and it allows those thoughts to wash over you. And, you know, you could say it's a simple story, but I think it's actually, it might be simple on the surface, but I think it's actually quite complicated and, and, and deep. And uh, it deals with a lot of human condition, a lot of human condition, because she is a human, really, um, but she's a unicorn. So it's like getting to see. It's like we're all kind of we're all kind of unicorns, right? I mean, you definitely are. But. Suddenly it's like, oh, there's others like me out there. I got to go do something. I have to go find my audience. I have to go find my my people. I have to go find. And yeah, there's the literal story of trying to rescue these imprisoned unicorns or at least get an answer as to if they're still on this plane or not. Uh, but she's kind of she's kind of asleep. She's kind of like, oh, wait, I'm the last like. Yeah. She wasn't really thinking about totally. it. Right. So there was no, a consciousness awakening. No, she is. She's not a unicorn. She's a sheep and not because she's bad. It's like literally 
she she is a immortal being she says you know we can be killed and stuff like that but we don't fade like, i'm away. not gonna just die yeah. like that's what she said we're immortal beings so we can assume that and this is what's cool about the storytelling they don't explain this to us but we can assume that she's for i don't know a hundred thousand years ten thousand years she's been sitting in this forest yeah and not realize the way the world's changed around her and if mo- if the only people coming to interact with her are hunters who are actually you know, those guys are holy guys, in my opinion. Like, they might be out hunting to, like, take care of them and their family. But they, like, you, you put it well, they have respect to them. You know, they remind me of wise men, you know, from, like, biblical. Yes. Times. Like, there's something holy about those guys in their respect of that moment. Um, I feel like it's the same way that I, I related to them because I feel like I am them. I don't hunt, and it's not because I disbelieve in it. I just don't. But even when I would fish and stuff, I guess that's something. But, like, I there wasn't a malice or a calculated i'm just going to try to kill everything it was very logical like at a certain point if i had enough fish i'd be like i don't really need any more fish you know but that was those hunters to me yeah and it extended to this world of this is special territory we have to leave so lo- sorry long long re- circumvented what i was trying to say was that um at the end of the day she was just out of touch with reality for a while yeah and she's waking up to a world where it's suddenly different and she didn't realize it so you're right she is asleep yeah She's like, how could this be? How can this thing be? Right. It's it's honestly, it's like it's like it's like if anyone's wondering how can there be bad police officers? It doesn't mean every police officer is bad, but it is possible over time for a cell to develop of bad police officers that are hiring each other. You know, it's like a cancerous kind of yeah. thing. Now I'm not in any way trying to make this political and you can cut this out if you don't want this in your podcast. I'm just saying I can see how it can happen. Yeah. You know? And it's like it happens all the time around us. It happens when you forget to take out your trash often enough and your trash can gets that extra stank. And you're like, oh, bottom. man, you know, it's yeah, like, I waited too long. Yeah, it's like that's just it's part of the chaos of existence. And so it's OK to be either aware of it or awakened to it. And in this case, the unicorn was awakened. Yeah. To it, you know, and the butterfly, interestingly enough, the butterfly tells her this info, I think, in this mismatched goofy kind of way so that she's actually disarmed when she hears it from him because if he had just flown in there and been like oh hey you unicorn guess what all this stuff's happening your people are gone and everyone's like you should probably go save them you know like literally she would be like what get out of here you crazy butterfly you're always saying weird stuff you yeah know what I mean? it wouldn't have the but same like weight. somehow because of the way he did it she heard it and this, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading into that. And some of this is me having seen it again for the umpteenth time more recently now. You know. Yeah. But, um, but that character is an intriguing character in itself. Um, it's almost like social media. That thing's just bumbling information out. Oh of my its god, mouth I love that. Yeah, the people. butterfly is. Yeah, so he, he has the <laughs> yeah. he has the vantage point, right? Because he can fly. Uh, there's that. Um, there's the intellectual kind of property given to him. And then he kind of, he defines what a unicorn is like uni meaning one corn meaning horn, you know, Latin. And that is, unicorn. yeah, yeah. Uh, unicorn. But he is just kind of like, um, just so this you is know, happening. This is happening. This is happening. I can say it in Hebrew. Chadkeren. Chadkeren. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Hilit taught me. Chadkeren. Oh. Chadkeren. That was the first word I ever learned in Hebrew in my adult life anyway. Chadkeren. Unicorn? Wow. Yeah. Huh. Were you guys watching? Were cool? you guys watching this movie? Anyway, that's cool. No, um, 
how, man, how did that? That's come funny up? that that was the first like, word that he learned. I can't tell you. Honestly, huh. it's like one of those good inside kind of things where I can't tell you how it yeah, developed in happened. the first place. I know at one point I gave her a little gas station chud kennen. It was like, you know, it's 7-Eleven for sale. Yeah. But I don't think that's where it started. So I can't say for sure why that's the first one I've learned. That's so cool. It might have just been a weird combo where, you know, dude, here's how weird it could have been. It could have been her saying, well, what word do you want to learn? And I was like, unicorn. <laughs> <You know what laughs> I mean? that, this is this is why I picked Because it's ingrained in your psyche like, at this point. It's so it's just, part of you. It did. It really is. DNA. It's, it's deeply formative yeah. to me. You know, and it's, it's interesting to watch it and see it because I'll tell you what, dude, my favorite songs, whether they're upbeat or down – cast i don't know if downcast is the right word but upbeat or like you know more slow and like you know more, more brooding know the word sad i don't know brooding. like yeah broody it's like broody is a good word my favorite music is music that gets me in this kind of broody thing and honestly i would argue that it always has values similar to the last unicorn <laughs> the themes that yeah. we discuss or something you know it's weird i think it's very no true. i love it using it's like a, it's like an artistic sensibility has been hit by the movie yeah you know yeah, and I love what you said about the butterfly as social media in that, not that that was the correlation they were making, but we're always, there's so much noise going on and the butterfly is just mm-hmm. seeing and hearing because of the vantage point of being a butterfly. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that the butterfly represents kind of like the wealth of all this data. And and exactly. sometimes yeah. sometimes he's just, just babbling uh, song lyrics or whatever. He's singing Alanis Morissette or something, you know. But sometimes, but exactly. he actually, and then she was like, ah, you're just rambling. You're, you're not even sentient or whatever, cognizant of what you're saying. And then he's like, unicorn. And he's, he's right there with the definition. He's right there with the knowledge of the Red Bull. He's right there with what her, the journey is going to be that has been laid out for her now. So the data is all in there. But just like you said about the internet and fact checking, and now we have at our fingertips, we, we can all be the butterfly. We all are the butterfly now. But then being able to kind of like mm-hmm. rein it in and have like a cohesive moment of of information that's not just muddled by itself, you know, uh, I think yeah. it's really cool, that correlation when, you just made. No, it's interesting. It really just came out of this conversation. So I appreciate the opportunity to have this. Because yeah. I don't know if I've ever had a conversation quite this in depth about this movie. I have had conversations. Oh, I don't doubt that. People, yeah. Um, dude, so continuing on. Uh, this so the butterfly is the first one that knows who she is right unico you're a unicorn right um then the next person that knows who she is is mommy fortuna mommy fortuna and then the next person who knows who she is is schmendrick and what schmendrick says when he sees her i want to point out the difference between something he says to her versus what mommy says to her at some point too cool this is really interesting and this is this is to me like a good example of Anyone can see beauty and magic for what it is, but how they think of that thing is what makes us what we call good or evil. Mm. You know what I mean? It's how we act on that understanding. And some people don't even have that understanding and they're just sort of floating in life, I guess. Um, But so when Schmendrick sees her and they talk, he says, if I were blind, I would know what you are. Like he's saying, I would know what you are, even if just I could innately see, in my if gut. I was near enough to feel you, like just to know if you were in my vicinity. And what I really also am fascinated about this line is like, that is also like the most beautiful thing that you would say to a lover. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's interesting because the way that people interact with this unicorn has been portrayed in that sort of lovery sense. 
in a smart way and to, to reflect, I think the power this creature has over people, you know? Yeah. And so like, if you think about like when, when the crowd sees her in mommy Fortuna's camp, like the women are crying and even like the tough dudes kind of like get a little watery eyes yeah. and like everyone's like beside themselves because they can big feel deal. it even without seeing it, you know? Right. They can feel the, but the magic. illusion makes them able to see and then they feel, but without that seeing, they wouldn't feel it. You know what I mean? Love it. It's weird. Yeah. It's just weird. I like it. So mom, you want to know what mommy Fortuna says to her that I think is the opposite concept. It's not the same meanings, but the vibe of uh -huh. it, right? Smendrick says, lady, if I were blind, I would know what you are. Right. Mommy Fortuna later says, you're mine. If you kill me, you're still mine. She says it to the harpy, but she means it to them as these like that powerful she, creatures. She means it to that the she captured. Too. She'll always remember that I captured her and bested her, even if my and, and when she basically the harpy gets out, right? They free the harpy. Schmendrick helps. Um, Mama Fortuna allows. She knows she was like, oh, she'll kill me one of these days anyway. Like I already know, but you know what? I still got to be the champion by capturing you. And now she doesn't say it, but we're storytellers. She's, she's very clearly mommy. Fortuna is very clearly the show. Right. If it's, if it's making her rich, great. She's in charge. If it's not going to make her rich, she'd rather be as well known as possible. I think we all know people like this in our world. Yeah. You know what I mean? That she would rather see the world burn and herself destroyed by the thing that she kept captured to make her legacy bigger and better than to ever have a moment of just wallowing into an obscurity, Fading away. you know, she, she, she wanted in that moment. I think she also, here's the thing about mommy Fortuna that I think makes her, every villain needs to have something that's I think redeemable about yeah. them. Mommy Fortuna is very much like me in the sense that like, I will take the things the world deals me and I will try to figure out how to best live in that moment. Yeah. You know, I don't spend a lot of time. Woe is me. I really don't. Like you, you probably know me well enough to know I, I don't do that much. I really instead go, okay, what can I do? I'm like water. I try to flow, you know, around. Mommy Fortuna is that way too. You know, she's like, oh, that. well, now you're free. Come get me. Yeah. You know what I mean, like it's not necessarily a good thing, but. Well, there good. was a hauntingness but, to but her. Her surrender of her physical being, her physical life with such happiness made that note creepy. And I think really nails that point home about. The obsession with the legacy being more important than freedom or my life or you know, her life. To me, Mommy Fortuna represents like the chaos of society at its mm. worst. You know, someone who would rather profit by keeping, you know, a beast of this kind locked up in a cage. This is sort of what Schmendrick talks yeah. about, you know, but should rather profit keeping them locked up in a cage and have people know that it's her menagerie of whatever it was called yeah. you know, or whatever mommy fortuna's in like and it's all illusion along those lines every she, she, she's the joker she she she'd rather the world burn than have it not be about her somehow, yeah you know that's that's who she that's represents cool. in society yeah and kind of the hubris I and think, the hubris you know? of of and like you said there's a monetiz monetization kind of like in king kong right they want to capture king kong and put him in a cage but that's that ends up backfiring and it's a, it's a, it's an age old tale that has been told again. And even in Jurassic park, you know, there's a little bit of like John Hammond, you know, like he mm -hmm. wants to, he wants to basically make the coolest zoo that ever was with these extinct animals. But to get to that point, 
he's tampering with the way of things and he's tampering with, you know, life and how it's organized. And you could say that the unicorn represents that like perfect, pure beauty of, of real nature. And by trying to imprison these legendary animals for profit, I think it really is saying what you're just like profiting off of something that should never be mingled in that way. Never be like franchised, businessized and the danger in that. Mm-hmm. And also just like, obviously the destruction of natural beauty. Um, like, like you said, the, the guys in the beginning, like, Oh, we're not, we're not going to hunt here. This is sacred ground, you know? But then in right. Ferngully, they come in with their, uh, you know, their big razor blades and they're chopping trees down and they don't care. And it's destruction of the rainforest. And, um, yeah, so there is a well, lot of these themes that, coming back in here, you know, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and as a four-year-old, like, I mean, you got to look at me now. This is what's interesting. Look at me now. Um, this little guy is climbing around on my lap right now. John just says cats. Um, just I mean, like I literally was bottle feeding these kittens. So when you, when you say that you've watched my Instagram, Andy, and you're like amazed by, you know, the kittens and what I'm doing and all this uh-huh. stuff, like there's a lot of history that has gotten me here living on this property. My cats have had kittens. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was equipped for the ability to do it and or to figure out how to do it. But I'll tell you what, dude, the, the need to do it, you could argue was something developed by watching this movie at a young age, the need to protect something mm-hmm. that needs your help. You know what I mean? Something sacred. Or is it that that was in me and that's why I gravitated to the movie? I don't know if it really matters, which is first. I think that they all, you know, add on and off to each other. Yeah. I think it's but a conversation. It's, like, it's interesting. Going on for that's a while. exactly what it was yeah. though. You know? And like, I, I like to think that most people who watch that film when that unicorns in the cage, they think that she should be free. Yeah. I hope. Totally. You know what I mean? And what makes me nervous are the people that don't think that when they watch it. Yeah. Because that's in a big picture sense, people not vibing with the way that I see the world in a way that I think is a pretty specific way. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? That something that should not be caged is caged. That's how it feels. You know? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Um, that's the that's the power of cinema. It can draw very clear lines in the sand. Of this is at least for this Absolutely. movie. What we're saying is not get right. you emotionally you know, emotionally uh, on board and get you to wrap your head around a concept, uh, even if it's subliminal. Yeah. And using metaphor, you know, using the fairy tale lens, um, and the heroes in this story, not to get away from the unicorn, but you know, Schmendrick also rises up to the challenge, and he's kind of also in his status quo, right? He's more or less just like, oh, I'm making my money. I'm not a real magician. It's all illusion, but you know, I get to be a magician. I get to wear this robe and pretend and I get paid and just doing my thing. But then once the unicorn comes, Schmendrick's like, this isn't right. This isn't right anymore. And it's it's been messed up already. And uh, it's it's all an illusion and it's all fake. And these, you know, he wants to really step it up and, and grow. And he's also has the consciousness shift and, and literally helps, like you said, with the lock picking and... Uh, you know, sure, he's like, oh, I wish I could use my magic to actually help. But then he he does actually help. Um, and, and then yeah. his relationship to magic uh, with Schmendrick is, to me, metaphor is kind of the, what you were just saying about the main the main through line is that even magic is self. And when he goes to cast the most epic spells in the movie, which end up helping, he says, magic, do what you will. And to me, that know, was so right? powerful. And just what it is it's powerful. so powerful. Even magic is its own authority and its own sovereignty. Not 
I'm a sorcerer. Really? I'd magical do my bidding. It's secondary. I'm secondary to its power, and I'm calling it to help. And it, it makes the choice of what to do. It's beautiful. And I'll tell you what, from like, from a, from my strange little Christian point of view, like that's how we're supposed to interact with like the divine. Yeah. You know, absolutely. A lot of people who I think pray for what they want, but the reality is if it's not, and I'm not saying that there's a divine that's choosing what does or does not happen. But what I mean is praying for what you want's not the point. You know, when I used to play high school soccer, we would, there was one, coach would have us pray for a victory and i was like well what if they're praying for a victory like how does that yeah work? you know it doesn't yeah, make god's sense. like well i'm but a it makes sense to pray fan, for a safe so. fair game yeah. it makes sense to pray for a solid safe fair game you know it's like yeah. any, anyway I, I don't mean sorry I don't, I don't mean to hijack this with religion or anything but i think that, that it, it also it hits me hard too andy because i think the point is the ego is gone that's it's it. from somebody who so desperately wants to be a magician right. you know yeah that he lets go of his control over it so that it can just use him to do it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's That's so powerful. Dude. I love it. I think I wrote something down about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. Talking. And no, no, I, I know what you're saying about the divine and yeah. Like, like uh, magic. Go ahead. I got it. I found it. It ties into that. <laughs> John was um, just waving his hand like he was in school. <laughs> go ahead, John. I don't remember if Molly says it to him or the unicorn does. You might have to remind okay. me. Okay. Because I can imagine Molly's voice saying this pretty clearly, so it might have been her. But she says, you have all the power you need if you dare to look for it. Yeah, no, that was Molly. And actually, that brings me to, it was that brings Molly. Me to Molly. And you know what? That that uh, vignette I was just telling you about on YouTube called Immortal Characters, they bring up Molly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Beagle says he doesn't, for the life of him, remember conceiving Molly. Um, and I was thinking in my head that Molly is really... I mean, they're all heroes. It, Everyone has a moment of, of being a hero in this piece. Even we'll get uh, to Haggard. We'll get to him soon. He's definitely more the villain, but uh, I like that there's those endearing things about everybody and it's not so black and white. We'll get to that in a minute. But Molly Grew, uh, voiced by Tammy Grimes, has this kind of gruff, street smart edge to it. Mm-hmm. And she literally is another awakened being who's been in this kind of like raider camp, right? So I think she saw this opportunity mm-hmm. be, to be with his like band and, and step out and not conform to society and that adventure. But then she ends up getting stuck yeah. being like their maid, basically, right? Like cleaning the dishes. And yeah. she, and she's like, screw this. Yeah. This isn't why I signed up. Uh, now there's a real a real mission of real importance. And well, she I jumps think, into I, it. She's been looking for purpose. purpose. She's been looking purpose. for purpose. Exactly. I yeah. love that. So was Schmendrick, though. I think I think I think you're absolutely right. Everyone that joins the unicorn, even um, Lear. Is it Lear? Wait, who's yeah, the son? Yeah, Lear. Why did I say Lear? Lear. Even Lear, Lear. Like all three yeah. of them, I would say, are looking for purpose. They're listless at the moment that she arrives. Right. The unicorn. Yeah. You know? And that's the inciting and incident. It's like purpose. finally something that's bigger than me. And Molly, you're totally is like such a hero, and she's she's like, oh my god, you're a you are a magician. Like, yeah, just like the line you just said, like, you you can do this. You got this. You you know, she's like that street cred yeah. element. Dude, she's got like a motherliness, like a matriarchness Love to that. her. Like she was in charge of that camp just about. You know, she was basically in charge of the camp. Let's be honest, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Um, maybe not in every scenario, I'm sure. But like she was basically in charge. She was a matriarch. Yeah. And um, I think that uh, she 
was able to be more of that role with this new family that she joins, I think. And honestly, as a kid, I remember whenever she would show up and me feeling a lot more comfortable. Yeah. And I think it's because she was sort of the anchor. She kind of is who I am in a lot of ways today. I'm very grounded, you know, like yeah. I think for a lot of my team, when I work with them, I am very solid feeling like I don't easily get thrown emotionally and like, you know what right. I mean? Like I'm, you, you can cling to me, I think emotionally, if we're like doing a hard project together. Oh, you know? I've, I've done it every and time with every I feel that project way about I've done Molly. with you. <laughs> oh, thanks bro. People don't know. I do that with them too. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that's Molly and also, what I love about Molly is when she gets mad about a thing, like, I also feel comfortable. I'm like, okay, good. Someone's finally saying Yeah, it. like someone's you know speaking I mean? up. Like, 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 can't take this anymore. She's, she gives some tough love. Yeah. She gives tough love tough to people. Love. Honestly, I didn't think about this. Is she – I wonder. I, I, was, I was saying that the characters give each other tough love and they have growth from it. But is it actually Molly who's doing it? Because I know Molly tells um, the unicorn. She tells Lady Amalfia, like, you're cruel to him about yeah. Lear. Which I think is beautiful, dude. Honestly, this is what's beautiful is there's no world where I thought that, quote, the Lady Amalfia, who's the unicorn, and Lear were going to be able to happy together like Little Mermaid style and be together. Like that's not how the story was yeah. going. I knew. You know, it had to It had to be that she would get the unicorns out and live happily ever after their family. Right. You know, like even as a four-year-old, I knew that. But there's something just – I don't know if I've seen a movie address this before, Andy, quite so poignantly. But there's something just – beautiful and we all know that feeling of like being in love with somebody who's not in love with you oh, yeah. you know and it not being mean or harsh it's actually gentle and nice but you know she was being cruel to him in leading him on is what molly was talking yeah. about i think you know because he's like oh well she won't talk to me and stuff the problem is that she wasn't telling him the truth, which is that I'm a unicorn, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's, but, it, but it's like, we've all experienced that in a real world scenario where someone's just being nice to you and they don't want to like, just directly tell you, look, or they like this, I, you know, or they or like this idea of you, but they don't really know who you are. And there is always like, you can get a crush and could you be get that, a crushing yeah. and project onto somebody. And she's, so she's, totally. she's gotten turned human by, totally by Schmendrick right. who magic. Totally. Okay. So the red, the red bull is going to, do what the Red Bull does, which is round up and imprison unicorns, yep. drive, them drive them the into the ocean and, where yep. they've been kind of entombed. And uh, so Schmendrick at the last second uses his magic, calls upon the magic, do what you will, turns, turns her into a human. But then, Oh my God, what have you done? Molly, Molly's like, you can't turn a unicorn into a person. And you said the the body dying all what around me. Line. Yeah. What have you done? I, I I saved I saved him. I, oh, I, I can I can I can I can turn her back whenever whenever uh, a magical will will it again. Uh, it's fine. Um, so then she's a human, and then she's losing and she's forgetting herself by being this human. So she's lost, and she's gravitating towards the sea. She's staring towards the sea. She doesn't really know why. Um, you know, uh, Haggard's checking in on her, but yeah, there's an element of like. You're being cruel. I, I, I kind of saw the cruelness that Molly's saying to her that she's evincing towards Lear and that she's distant and she's remote. But she's, she is. She's yeah. fading. She doesn't remember. But Molly she helps her. She doesn't know who she yeah, is. Yeah, Molly really helps her. Like, ever. you're a unicorn. Yeah, I mean, you're a magician, Schmendrick. You can do we, this. Go ahead. I'm, I want to back up to Molly again. Oh, yeah. Real quick, go back up, back up. If we can. Possibly one of the moments that makes me the most teary eyed. I honestly am telling you to this day, 
and when I was a kid all the way till now. Like this is, I've been able to, maybe this movie's helped me be in touch with my emotions, but like this line always gets me is remarkable. When, and I think we can all relate to this. When she says, when she first sees the unicorn and Molly gets to talk to her, she gets upset and starts crying outside the camp, I think is yeah. what, what it was. And she says, where have you been? Where were you when I was new? When I was one of those innocent young maidens you always mm. come to. How dare you? How dare you come to me now when I am this? Like the self-loathing that she feels in the presence of that unicorn like makes me want to cry. Like even now talking Ooh, about it. Like it's just so – powerful. Dude, it's it's like hard. Yeah, you know she's like, I, mean? I really could have used you uh, when I was starting off on my, you know, with the, my eyes full of wonder, and then like life kind of wore she, down. Yeah, you know? she went. She that also tells us about her. Like, talk about genius writing. Like that in a second tells us that when she was twenty and young and a maid in nineteen eighteen, who knows? She had gone off looking for adventure, and that's when she wanted. That's when. But now it's happened. What is she fifty now? Like, what you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's an element of like. It's I'm funny, like she. Or whatever. You come to me when I'm broken. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's honestly, it's kind of allegorical in a sense too. It's interesting. That's oh, my favorite word. Um, it's crazy. I love that word. I love it, dude. It's um honestly, Mo- Molly is a remarkable character. I'm glad that you love her too. And yeah, I think she's she's feeling sad that that moment didn't come then, but the moment came now. You know, and now she does get to have a new adventure. Yeah, isn't that life? That's but isn't that's that life? life, man? It doesn't come when you want it to come. Yeah, it comes when it comes. It's consciousness. And shift. you know what? All of the people that went with her jumped on the ship. You know, and that's amazing. Yeah, and like you said, she's the mother and, of this uh, new group, and um, you know, yeah, they, they might probably not hang out beyond the the end of the film or whatever. They're splitting up, but as a new era that she ushered in, Dude, for sure. It's amazing. And like without them, they would have become listless at one point. Schmendrick was just a court magician. Yeah. She was, you know, um, Amalthea was just kind of hanging out. Like, honestly, Molly kept it rolling. Yeah, she kept point. it rolling. And you're a magician. You're you're a, you're um, a unicorn. And then, oh, yeah. And they're at the very end when they're fighting the bull, not to jump ahead too much, uh, we'll come back. But uh, even I think it rubs off on Schmendrick where um, Lear's like, oh, my God, magician, do something. And then it's like, no, that's the role of the hero. And then he's like, you're right. Yeah. And then he does his thing. Yeah. So it's like Molly's like, you're this, yeah. you're that. Like, you can do this. And then he he translates yeah. that onto Lear. And Lear really wakes up, too. He's like, you're right. I yeah. want to do this. I want to help. You yeah. Know? And that, that, that was, that's one of Lear's tough love moments, you know? It's like, no, dude, this is your Yeah, moment. like, this it's is a life your job, bro. Moment. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal, like, what he did, too, in that moment. It's like, I know because it's a cartoon and it's a kid's movie. It's easy to forget. But it's like, dude, he he literally threw himself in front of the bull. Mm. You know? Isn't that the moment we're talking yeah, about? Exactly. Right at the very end. I mean, do that. When they free the unicorns. And it's like, that's, what's amazing. It's like, here's, what's also amazing is going back into that, like kind of idea of love. It's like, whether Amalfia returned it the way he wanted to her to or not, he felt it truly for her, which is why in that moment he stood in front of the bull. Yes. You know what I mean? That in itself is beauty. And I think that as humans, it's easy to get caught up in wanting it to be the way we want it to be, right? Right. Magic, do as you will. But in that moment, love played out in a way that like saved the universe, if you will. Yeah. You know what I mean, like it, the whole point of the whole crux of the movie was saved by that moment of love. It was a huh. selfless, a selfless moment, thing, you know. Yeah, not not like oh, you're gonna marry me and be my bride and and be my my children's mother or or, but just pure. I, I have to do this 
for true beauty, for the yeah. purity that is the unicorn embodied, the allegory. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's yeah. awesome. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. It's it's kind of a thrown away moment, and I think I only really recognized it from having seen it so much. It's also like a moment that's so repeated in all the movies we've seen. It's easy to I think o- overlook it, but in the context of the film, it's 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 a great example of like you know they say when you write a film, you know your main theme just has to be proven over and over again throughout the movie. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say what the main theme is and that it's proven over and over again or not. But I can tell you that I feel that it is when I you watch feel it, a, you know? a through line, like it all keeps an ideological, spiritual through line. Point. And and like you said, Molly, uh, Molly was really helping her remember that she was a unicorn. But then there was a moment where Amalthea, Amalthea right? Amalthea is like, oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll still be with you right now. And, you know, who am I to who am I to put myself in front of love or, or whatever? And then they, I really feel like that they love. I love that they nailed that moment. That Lear took that moment and was like, "No, that would be a perversion of what is true. I can't force this, you know." And that was a really altruistic moment that kind of was mirrored, like you said, repeated again by him stepping in front of the bull and being like, "I'm doing yeah. this because I love you, not because I want." something from you that I want that fairy tale trope to happen where it's like, we live happily ever after in a cap. And they literally even say like, there is no happy endings because nothing ever ends. And I uh, don't want to muddle my moment with that line, but I love that where they're like, again, that's a repetition of like the happily ever after thing is, isn't really real. You know, I I I think you got to think about it. Like this ending was happy. Yes. And it's important it to mark those moments because then you can also just decide that the in-between moments that suck don't have to be the endings. Those are just the parts towards the next right. thing. You know what I mean? Like it's actually a way of you can judge your own life that way. And I think mm. that the difference can make you happier. I love you that. Know? We're more content. I'll tell you what. Another thing that has come up to me I didn't realize until we were talking is that actually each of the characters selflessly helps the others. You know, I would say that, you know, for Schmendrick, it's that magic do as you will type moment. For Lear, it's the, oh, yeah, I'll stand in front of the bull. Um, you know, for the unicorn, it's, it's I'm going to go out and get my fellows no matter what it takes, you know. Yeah. Um, for Molly, there might be another one, but I think hers is more disguised. And it's actually really cool. Hers is simply that she thought, you know, why didn't you come when I was young, you know, and beautiful when I was 20? She tells the unicorn, i.e. when I needed you then and I was awesome, you know, in my cutest and whatever. And it would have been magical. But the unicorn came into her life at a moment when the unicorn needed her, you know? So isn't that a beautiful thing that we can spend our entire life like waiting for the thing that's going to come pull us out of our situation and save us. But what if that thing was waiting for us and we walked right by it? You know Mm. what I mean? Like, I think it's an important way of looking at your existence. Again, it ties in with me saving these kittens, dude. It's because I was here, I saw it, and I knew they needed me. Mm. And there was no one else that was going to do it. My mom doesn't have the ability to do what I was doing. I was climbing under the car, like dragging myself yeah. under the car. You know what I mean? To, and I'm not like trying to be like, oh, I'm so cool. I, I think the point is I, mean, you I had people on Instagram like, oh, my gosh, like you're so amazing. You're so sweet. I'm like, look, first of all, I think a lot of people would have done this. Second of all, I just couldn't stand by. Yeah. When I could I just do couldn't it. Sit and there I literally and, was and home quarantining with nowhere to go and no work and no job and no – reason i can't help you yeah. you know what i mean like it would just have been that would have been gross and yeah. weird not to help you know and i think that that's how people feel when they met the unicorn yeah 
I have to. Help I think that's what the, the true definition of heroism isn't. Yeah, there there isn't a there isn't supposed to be like a return necessarily. Like you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and you were needed. Your skills were needed. Um, and I, I love that you're paralleling the cats with, you know, cause they really are a very pure personification of nature. And yeah, like you just said, I, I can't just stand yeah. by and, uh, and not, and not, not do the right thing here. And I, I love that about like waiting for somebody else to rescue you. But I think when you go to rescue, like you with the cats, you are kind of healing yourself, you know, and you're feeling oh, great dude. about yourself. For sure. And that is, it's, it's, it's Andy, a reciprocity, a you know? No, without a doubt, it was healing. It's funny. My dad was a research scientist and he really loved semantics and just kind of like really pulling things apart. And sometimes I think that he had a hard time always realizing that the truth could lie in between two things. Mm. Like when you say the chicken or the egg kind of idea, right? right? The reality is the truth lies between there. And that's just sort of a silly argumentative kind of thing you can have. Yes. You know, so like I think one time I was talking to him and he was saying, do you think it's possible that people do altruistic things because it makes them feel good? And if that's the case, does that then mean that they're being selfish? He just wanted to have like a deep conversation. Yeah. And I don't think he liked it because my answer was that's too that's oversimplifying that's what's it. happening. Yeah. It's oversimplifying yeah. it. I think some people might do that, but that's the people that are then like making sure the newspaper writes about it and stuff like that. You know, it's like, that's more in the line of like, look at me. More of the, it. like you said, the ego, um, which you brought up earlier, the surrendering of the ego, I think. Right. Uh, Mommy Fortuna. Yeah. Mommy Fortuna. Because honestly, the interesting thing about, um, about, um, why did I go like, what, what's our bad guy's name? Not bad guy. The guy collecting. Uh, Haggard. Why am I going? King boy? Haggard. Haggard. Christopher Haggard. Lee. Haggard. Haggard. Uh, so Haggard, the thing that's interesting about him is like his kingdom is literally empty. Yeah. At one point he says there's a few men at arms, but dude, I never saw he, them. Like, I think he made that up. Is well, that he, cool? well, it's he was one time, of the four. You know? So really there's only th- three other guys. And then there was the magician who appeared. I, um, yeah, I don't Matt know. Rook. I feel, I feel like maybe there was supposed to be other ones around or he's pretending. doesn't matter. Point yeah. being his kingdom that's fairly vast i mean there was like outlaws running amok in it like semi-vast kingdom there is zero inviting anyone to come look at his collection of unicorns you know what i mean he's the opposite of mommy really selfish he doesn't give a crud if anyone else even knows he has the unicorns they're just they're just his he you know what i mean yeah actually i really want to talk about i really uh, want to talk about haggard now that we're, we're talking we already are talking about him the heavy of the piece, the villain, very complicated villain, um, voiced by the legendary Christopher Lee. Man, there's so many great, great voice actors in this movie. And actually, I remember them saying in another featurette that uh, this was really the first time that they're using celebrities' voices in, a, in an animated piece, like really focusing in. Like all, oh, really? all these guys could have, you know, they could have uh, been in, you know, they were top of their class live action actors um Wait, first time for this company or for like just kind of animated they, they made it seem general. like in general um i think that you know i think i have heard that that's interesting yeah 1982 i mean nowadays you're like oh yeah you can hear everyone's voices in the all the animated stuff and all the computer animation stuff this is a hand-drawn no computers and it's given the accolade of yeah of, of really they they use the word exploiting but i don't really like that word but like really the first to exploit 
uh, you know, film actors with with gravitas and 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 giving them uh, you know, this animated piece. But yeah, I mean, we got Mia Farrow, uh, Jeff Bridges as Prince Lear, uh, you know, Angela Lansbury as Fortuna, Alan Arkin as uh, Schmendrick, and um, Christopher Lee, who was also in the Lord of the Rings universe, but in the live action ones as Saruman. Uh, oh. He lived to be uh, in his into well into his nineties. He was like ninety two or three when he passed a couple of years ago. But anyway, he does such a good job with. Uh, King Haggard, and he even says he likes villains with like that emotional side, not just that clear like I'm bad, you're good, you know. But something tragic happened to them, or so they made a they made a dark turn, and they've become a villain in a sense. Yeah. Uh, any any moment where you're imprisoning other life, uh, and like you said, you you talked about the exploitation of just the ownership of having it having it just for him again, not on display, not. Oh, this is my unicorn collection, everybody. Check it out. He doesn't care. Uh, His main... I love his main um, kind of flaw is that he's just not happy. He's chronically not happy. And he it's like a bottomless pit where the only thing that will bring him happiness is gazing into this ocean and just knowing that there's... Dude, he's really... He's really just Mr. Burns. He's Mr. Burns. Even kind of look, Mr. Burns, like Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns and him are the same archetype. I'd yeah, say. Uh, they're like Mr. Mer- yeah, Mr. No, Burns. You have so much. Yes, but I'd give it all for a little more. That's like one of my favorite lines from anything. I mean, Haggard. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's how Haggard felt. Yeah, that's how he was. He was patient. Yeah, as he put it about the unicorn. But really, let's be honest. He had all the unicorns. Like we joke all the time. That's the new joke now, right? You know, like oh, I have all the toilet paper. Yeah, or whatever it uh-huh. is. Like. You know, that's a joke. He literally had all the unicorns except Save for one. one. And he just couldn't handle the fact that he didn't have that one other yeah. unicorn. Yeah, and there was a you know lot of like, them. That's there was a lot of them in there. It wasn't four it's or five. Ludicrous. It was like it's a stampede of it's them all come out of the water. And you're like, my God, there's a it's lot. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Yeah, but like, doesn't that, but doesn't that show like something about the, uh, I don't know. Like how humanity bottom, works. The bottomless bit, right? pitness. Like the bottomless work. pitness. That's how hoarders work. It just. Right. Yeah. You're filling some sort of void. Yeah. You know? And like he's hoarding unicorns. I hoard kittens. He hoards unicorns. I mean, we're all filling a void. <laughs> yeah. No. And he's like, um, he finds out that the kid was adopted, that uh, Prince Lear, Jeff Bridges was adopted. And then he was like, oh and he's gosh. like, I did it. As a, it was a science experiment and trying to feel better. And now he's like stuck with him more or less but he doesn't really care about him he doesn't well no but dude not even that he's like he's like at first it felt good but that that faded, faded. Enough. yeah I'm like, oh about God. an hour in i was like this and sucks like, <laughs> but what's interesting is he's it, it clearly doesn't seem like he was ever abusive or overtly bad to lear right like they seem like they have a good enough relationship On but it's paper. very like right kind of like librarian relationship you know you go in the library and you speak softly with each other and they help you check out a book and that's kind of your interaction that's, that's you know, the like, i feel like your, that was uh, relationship dad yeah can you imagine and then now here's lear for probably like you know only a couple times in his life seeing someone beautiful and interesting here comes lady amalthea and of course lear's in love with her yeah he hasn't had anyone interesting or interacting with him in forever yeah poor guy i know <laughs> yeah and he uh he's portrayed as this really like gaunt lean face He's not comfortable. His throne even looks uncomfortable. Worrisome. He's worrisome. worrisome. He's just, 
it's never enough. And that hunger and that bottomless pit of greed is so right on the money of how that is a dangerous part of, of, of man. There is an element of like, you know, chasing yeah. the dragon, which I guess is literally like a heroin term. You're trying to get that same high. But like, even as yeah, we get older, you're like, oh man, like, remember Christmas morning when you were a kid? Like, Christmas morning still rocks. Oh, yeah. It'll never be, It'll like, never be like that again. You'd have to get really drunk. No, it's never going to be that euphoria. It was a euphoria. It was a euphoria. No, it was like a euphoria. Yeah, and chasing it was that like, it was like is bad. Euphoria. Right. I mean, sure, there's always a chase. Like, you get a rush from creating. Trying to recapture that That's is it. bad. I love that. You could chase it in other ways. Like, I think people yeah. skydive say they feel that feeling, you know, and it'll probably wear off after a while, too, like that feeling of jumping. But right. I think chasing it's not necessarily bad, depending on how you chase that yeah. feeling. But trying to relive it is yeah. bad, you know. Right, because you're you're in prison um, by kinda, it when you're. It's like he's suffering. It's like very much like Scrooge, you know. Um, I'm a huge Christmas Carol fan. Mm-hmm. I finally actually read 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 the whole thing over the holidays this past holidays cycle. But oh yeah, um, he in the beginning. It's a tough read, man. He he has sentences that are like half a page long. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of words that you got to they got to look at the annotations to you know get the context and stuff. But I, I did it, and uh, it was really really good. But and a, a lot a lot of the films I love too, uh, renditions of it. But he's rich, right? But he doesn't use his money for any benefit. He's sitting there in the dark. He won't put any coal in the fire to make it warmer. Bob Cratchit's like trying to feed the fire, and he's like, right. "No, that's costs." Cold is momentary and cold. So it's like he doesn't very much like haggard. He's physically like uncomfortable. Mm. He doesn't care about any of that. He's just like chasing this idea of happiness. And like you said, not chasing, but trying to replicate it. And, and, and he's the prisoner. He's the one that's stuck. Um, so it's like, he's a prison of his own, his own device. You know, he suffers. Um, Yeah, you know what's interesting is, and now he can't leave because he has these unicorns to watch over and to make sure they don't go away. So he's away a prisoner. Like, he clearly can't handle one getting yeah, away. Yeah, he can't handle it. Yeah, you know, he's imprisoned himself. That's really interesting. So he's they even suffering at his own whim. Don't they even say that about yeah, maybe. him in the movie? Isn't that even said? Probably. I feel like they say something about that. Oh, man, I wish I'd written it down. Doesn't yeah. Matter. You guys will I literally remember. just watched it. and I uh... Leave a comment below if you remember what it is that he says. Yes. Can people comment uh, They can on the SoundCloud, yes. On um. There you go. On Apple Podcasts, you can't, but... Um, Yeah, you know, it's funny, because, like, the end of the movie... The reality is the end of the movie is kind of this fast unicorn's escape, and, you know, a unicorn heals Lear, and then there's this kind of, like, brief moment where the party says goodbye to each Mm -hmm. other. That's not the true end. There's a little bit after that, I believe, right? Maybe it's just the credits and dancing unicorns. Unicorn back in the um, forest, yeah. There's there's a moment that talking about how it's not really the end per se. There's just one line that defines it so clearly to me, and it's when Schmendrick says to Molly, "Come with me," and she says, "I will," and it's like so sweet the way she says, uh-huh. "I will," as it, kind of like she's saying, "Well, what else am I gonna yeah. do?" You know. Also, we're friends, and also, like you know, who am I gonna hang out with? otherwise yeah you know, like it's just like this and it also implies the fact that it just moves everything's now the next the next whatever iteration next. you know it's kind of cool yeah the, the yeah there's a new era upon us now there's a restoration of the order and the balance 
now that the unicorns that have been imprisoned yeah. in the water by this greedy king. And I, I mean, not not to make it try to reach into the zeitgeist, but I just feel like so much suffering is caused by greed. And it's like you hear about stories of like these um, billionaires. Yeah. It's like, OK, they'll, they'll they'll sabotage their own companies so that they can, you know, boost their shares and sell them. Get more. Yeah, and it's like the cost of that, it, the, the damage, the problem, that, you know, yeah. The the problem is, you know, once you have a garage full of whatever crap it is, I'm trying to sort out now that my dad had left here piled in his garage. Yeah. It's easy to fill up that garage and then to need another garage to put more stuff in because you run out of room. Yeah. And then pretty soon you need to get another garage because you're going to probably buy, buy this other guy's garage of stuff. So it's like you start piling this crap yeah. up, you know, and like – Eventually, you have so much garage full of junk that you can't see how – I don't know how to explain it, but it's like you, you can't see how buying – forcing someone to start selling their garage of junk to you to add to yours is a problem when doing it to that other person is like you know taking all their tools away that's their livelihood. It's like you – know, mm-hmm. like, maybe this is a weird analogy and it may not make sense, but my thought is you're right. Once you get so big, it's easy to do things to – get more from your perspective, but the amount of damage that can do to someone else yeah, is like to you, first of all, marginal because you're talking about so much money, who cares? And right. honestly, isn't that kind of a way that people think a little bit that I feel like is part of our culture? For example, like I'll give you an example. Okay. I'm walking down the street and I dropped $20, $20 mm-hmm. on the ground and uh, the wind blew it away and I couldn't, catch it and then someone got it to me before me and picked it up and walked away somebody might be like yeah but it was just 20 bucks you know but if a billionaire told the same story about a billion dollars people would be like oh my gosh well, what'd you do well how'd you get it back well i think you should get it back what's gonna happen you know it's 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 interesting but that 20 dollars could literally be life or death for someone if they needed that to buy medication or food or you know what i mean right. like absolutely but it's sudden it the value of it becomes lessened when it's just one you know Mommy Fortuna kind of said it. She was kind of like, you're just one unicorn. Like, if I keep you, no one's going to notice. The Red Bull won't notice is basically it's what she said. It's not enough to warrant, um, yeah, anything thing yeah. shaken up. Isn't that interesting? That is, that's really interesting, yeah. No, but I mean, I, I just like, you know, with the 2008, like, crisis, and it's like you hear about all these horrible things that had a ripple on the global economy, and it was because some guy who's already a multi-billionaire and I'm not trying to say that rich people are evil or rich people are bad or anything. I'm not trying to make that, but whenever no, 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 no. enough's never not enough. All ba- not all cops are bad. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you touched all, on that earlier. Not, I love not that. all lawyers. Not all. No, no, everybody is bad right. usually, you know, but obviously there could be, there is a human that, condition to want to fill that bottomless pit. And it's like, you already have so much. Okay. You want to have a couple more billion dollars in your bank account, but that means, you know, leveling, your own company and selling these toxic assets that then in turn, the, as soon as there's a disconnect with global systems. And I think this really, this is a movie about global system, right? We have the forest, we have man, we have nature and things are out of whack. Things are out of balance. And it's a very nice kind of simple allegorical piece because it's, it's actually quite complicated, but, um, it, it 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 puts everything in a very easy like way to wrap your head around it, but and this is about restoring the natural order of things by the end. And it's like there's a human condition, and it is very much a human thing 
that Haggard is evincing that he's just unhappy and he's willing to do whatever it takes and nothing matters more than filling that void. But it's like, when is enough enough? You know, like you're willing to destroy global economies just to enhance your stock or enhance your, it's the disconnect with the global I mean, system I and think, the individual that I think is the danger. I think, I think we should, I think we should reorient the conversation to be about the fact that he's imprisoned this entire group of entities because it was convenient for him and suited him to do yeah. so. It didn't get, didn't get him money. It didn't get him fame. It did. Well, it got him, it got him fame or infamy in the fact people knew about it, Right. but he didn't have lines of people he was selling tickets to. Like literally he just did this thing because it suited yeah. him. You know what right. I mean? And I think that ties into the concept of billionaires in the sense that people who have tons of money or control of something that is worth tons of money have power and then they can do what suits them and usually get away with it. Yeah. I think is what, what I think you, in my mind is what I think you really are trying to speak to. Yeah. And that's the same problem we see with when the wrong people become police officers, they're put into positions of power where they do have power. They also have the power, like if they wanted to fake something, you know what I mean? Like it's like the wrong people in the wrong points of control are dangerous. Yeah. You know, Hagrid, not Hagrid, 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 Hagrid sorry, sorry. Woo. Hagrid. Um, he just of his own will for his own purpose decided to take all the unicorns, but you know, you can't take all the unicorns from the world because that affects everybody. Exactly. You and know? that disconnects. Um, and I, I love that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Cause I'm really formulating these thoughts as I'm talking to you now. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not in any way calling you up for being wrong. It, no, honestly, no. I've never talked this deeply about this movie and just to embarrass myself, I will say I've had some very deep conversations about this movie. <laughs> this and Dune are the two Dune. stories that oh, I know. Oh man, I know well you're. A, I'm a big Dune fan. You're a huge. We're gonna have to do. A, we're gonna have to have a Dune chat at some point. Um, but dude, we'll do a Dune chat after the after the new movie. Comes oh out. yeah, let's watch it. And then oh we can please, do one of these. let's do it. I'll have you back. Season two. That'll be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Dune is also about an ecosystem. You know, socio political landscape. There's the, sure. the natural resources of spice and exploiting that to get, and there's these stagnant Dude, it's about tyrant, loneliness, tyrant. belonging. Yeah. Dude, it, honestly, it has a lot of the yeah. same themes. That's, that, that's why The Last Unicorn is so powerful, mm -hmm. is all of the themes that we've talked about are just truly, truly like deep, humanistic kind of themes. You know what? Um, when, when we write our movies, we've often followed the Save the Cat model uh, written by Blake Schneider. And it's just he does a really great job of kind of helping you think about how to break down the story to fit a marketable formula. But really what he says at the end of the day is like you've got to make it human. It has yeah. to be about human people who like it's got to be something that we can all relate yeah. to. You know, they got to be on board. They got to be on danger. board the journey. A loved one's going to move away. Yeah, they... Like, yeah, there's got to be we have to understand why the stake matters. And yeah. if you can make it human. You win. That's what he says. I love that. He's right. In The Last Unicorn, like all of these things are just deeply human. This is such like, a human thing. Wanting to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and there's lots of different facets to it. Like it's a very, com it's like you said, it's simple, but it's actually very complex with all the different facets of what the story talks about. Absolutely. You know, I mean, like we were talking about Molly, the timing of when something happens, it can be tragic. Yeah. You know, like think about it, like meeting your soulmate when you're, I don't know, 20 
and then being able to experience life growing up together in a way that works is totally different than meeting them when you're 80 and you only have a few years. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make one more valuable than the other per se, but it could be tragic to feel that the person you were trying to find, you didn't find until way down here. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean that that's bad. That's just how life is. And our job is to love it as we get it, you know? And that's the thing that I think the unicorn did well. Things are coming to you at that moment. You have to be open to them and aware of them, you know? Yeah, you also have to see them. Yeah. yeah. Just like seeing the unicorn, right. you have to see them. The unicorn also, it's funny, there's so much that's wrapped around her and what she represents. But I think she also, if you look at her from the different characters that interact with her, she represents, usually it's in the other direction thought process, but that idea of the knight in shining armor, the thing that rides in to save you, to change your life, to bring you joy, your saving grace moment. Like, you know what I mean? That's what she represents, your epiphany, yeah. you know? The dove with an olive branch, like whatever it is, like for Schmendrick, for Molly, I'd say even for Hagrid. For I mean, for Hagrid, gosh, man, darn you, J.K. <laughs> even Hagrid, yeah. like for him, she was the, the final one he needed. Yep. You know what I mean? Like she represented for everybody what they had hoped. From for Schmendrick, she was true magic. For Molly, she was that hope of like youth and beauty and purpose. Purpose I think, and adventure. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then for Lear, it was purpose and love. Um, you know, giving love purpose. So yeah. I think he had probably been a hopeless romantic his whole life. You know, he suddenly had this thing to put his love and purpose yeah. onto. It might have been he wasn't getting it from his. He wasn't getting that bond that. from his father. That's for sure. <laughs> Haggard. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, you know, and to be fair, my dad was British and he was a scientist. And as loving as my dad was, and as and as many deep moments as I had with him, he also had a bit of a reservedness. Yeah. that, You know. Um. You know, but I think it also built, I don't know, like it made me who I am to a degree too. Honestly, it made me like able to handle people that are difficult. You know, like I don't have a problem with difficult people because it just takes a little bit of patience and grace. And that's something we should have for everyone. That's what the unicorn had for everyone until she was put into a human body, I guess. But man, she was just so like truly free and gentle. Like she would laugh at Schmendrick when it made sense to laugh at him, but it wasn't mean. It was just like, you're funny to me. You yeah. make me laugh, you know? Oh, this movie um, rocks, it's man. the way people laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> Schmendrick is uh, the man. No, it's a great movie, man. And it's, it's dated, you know, it's dated. It's old animation now. And like, you know, you can tell with like, sometimes the voice acting has got an echoey vibe to it. Like not a great ISO booth and some different stuff. And like, but it's just, it's really strong. It's got such a vibe. I think a it's vibe, so well. And you know? I, I actually think that that era, that it represents, it's kind of like the unicorns kind of like faded, you know, faded away in the story. And it's kind of a legend. Like this era of filmmaking, this era of actual animation is now, is over. Uh, and yeah, what we can do with computers now, and maybe they would have liked to have a little bit of computer help at the time but no computers in this hand-drawn i think it it holds up so well it has such a unique like you were saying look and vibe and style yeah it does yeah and just honestly the music and the like the composing and america's music and you know the the animation and the look of it the look of the way it's drawn and just the vibe and like just they've put it all together in an amazing way that just really carries this kind of forlorn hopelessness to yeah it, you know and like that sounds terrible and i think that nowadays i could be wrong but i, I feel like there's a, a, a push in society to like protect our kids from things like that yeah and i think that's a bad idea 
I think it's a horrible idea, Andy, because this is more real than a lot of the things that I think that we want to subject our kids to. And I feel like, I don't know. I mean, like there's nothing inherently bad about a movie like this. And I feel like if it makes your kid worried or nervous, that's part of helping them grow up maybe, you know, like, cause they're going to be in a world that is more like this than not. Yeah, no. And I, exactly. And I think it goes back to what you were saying before about like, yeah, just cause we're uncomfortable. Doesn't mean like periods of, un, of, I don't want to use the word unrest, but like, if we're just docile, like the unicorn was in the beginning, like all the characters were in their beginning in their like f- front life, you know, before their call to adventure happens. If we don't have the awareness to look and say, what can be better? What can be, what can we help? What can we change? What mm-hmm. can we move in a forward direction? Then I think society's in trouble. You know, it's these periods of crises and I reevaluation agree. that we're in right now. And it maybe that maybe that mm-hmm. called out to us. We're called out to you choosing this film, or obviously, you know, it's one of your favorites. And either way, I think it's about that consciousness shift and how, yeah, just we can't just expect to be comfortable all the time because that means we're stagnant. You know, and we've got to push, we've got to grow, yeah. and we've got to be better. Yeah. And the world needs to wrap its head around stuff like this now more than ever. I think, really, this period of reevaluation. Yeah, I think you're right. And- I just want to reiterate that I think everyone in this movie at some point was told some sort of hard truth for their character, you know, something like, you know, for Schmendrick, it might've been the, you know, you have all the power inside you if you just look, you know, um, cause he was such a self doubt. Yeah. You know, neurotic. Like, so they all had that's different things, I, but I love him so much. I think that, um, <laughs> I, was thinking, that? I think that's why I resonate with him so much is that he is the kind of the doubter, but, uh, for yeah. sure. I think we can all res- resonate with that, yeah. you know? And like, um, it's true though. It's like, but if you just allow the world to happen around you, it's going to happen around mm-hmm. you, you know? So you're much better off trying to accomplish something, you know, whether that means like we were saying before about go out and do a creative endeavor, or whether that means that you need to go to a protest or you need to write your congressman or you need to just talk to your friends or something yeah. and not just talk to your friends who agree with you either. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's easy. Choir, that's know. that's the safe path. That's the unicorn sitting in the in the woods, yeah. you know. And um, but whatever it is you believe, and I'm not saying what you should believe by any means. I'm saying, but if you believe a thing, you should be able to have convos about it with grace yeah. and with gentleness and with the courage that it's okay if you guys don't agree. The unicorn and these humans didn't always agree about things. They learned a lot from Absolutely. each other. You know what I mean? And in the end, they all carried each other across this finish line mm. to get somewhere. And some of it was selflessness that they just. Some of it was that the unicorn showed up and gave them a purpose that was more important than what they were doing the moment before that purpose came. And that's all they got out of it. You know, they didn't get to take a unicorn home with them, you know, yeah, or a bag of gold right. or something, you know. Um, and that's important to realize that, I don't know, you got to, you have to be able to open yourself to the world of doing something that just needs to be done sometimes, you know. And I know earlier I talked about like projects and how I choose them. And it's like, you know, I was like, it's going to pay me. It's going to pay me later. Don't get me wrong, guys. Like that's not really how things are done. You know, lots of things get done. I think by all of us that are just above and beyond and maybe not all of us talk about it, but it's important to be open to, I think those moments. Yeah. And be part of something that's larger than just you. And I think you nailed it. Um, You know, Haggard's tragic flaw was that it was all about him and feeling that bottomless pit of never being happy. But 
he was still miserable. You know, it just gave him a little bit. But it's like even filmmaking, it's it's so collaborative. And like you said about like, obviously, there's ideas and somebody has to be the director and, you know, and it's there's definitely a dynamic. But being part of something that's bigger than you feels so good. Like, what am I contributing uh, and yes, a lot of times as filmmakers, we don't always get that immediate like, oh, well, I picked up a landfill and I can see the natural beauty that I cleaned up. And it's not that direct correlation, but we're putting ourselves into these pieces and sending it off. And there's always something in us. There's always part of us in it. And it shows a lot of artists, artists intentions, only half of the puzzle or part of the puzzle. But uh, for me, I think that's is the ultimate rush you know, is putting me yeah. into something that will, will go out and be part of the larger conversation, the larger society, you know, even if it's just a silly thing that yeah. just makes people laugh. It's a three minute video uh, that just gives people some laughs in kind of a, a, you know, a scary time and just gets people laughing and gets people having a good time. There's something about that too. It doesn't always have to be I some powerful sermon from a mountain, you know, it can just be, how am I making someone's day a little bit better? You know, how am I helping? You know what? And, I, and I'd say, like, you know, I, I've come to realize that if you're only counting how many likes or views or any of the stuff that you mm -hmm. get, whether it's social media, YouTube, whatever, like, you're going to literally drive yourself crazy. And the truth is, I believe for every one thing you can count, there's probably about 10 more people that have seen it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that's, my, that's my experience. And, like, I think about it myself, like, scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or just something mm -hmm. like that, like, there's plenty of stuff that I see and I watch and I don't click the like button on it. It doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm just sort of, I don't know, not thinking about yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it happened. I, I just don't like the idea of people getting stuck on view counting and stuff because it really doesn't matter. We've experienced with our movies. Like, you know, we, we had someone write us from South Africa when catching faith came out and just said, you know, I live in a little village in South Africa and this movie was, you know, made it here. And honestly, it just, it, it changed my world. I'm like, so thankful. Thank you so much. And like, we were blown away that we heard from this person at all. You know, they had to like somehow figure out how to email Such a us. Cool and like, it's a great story. Most people don't take the effort to do yeah. that, you know, but if you, then if you go on to like, I'm sure Amazon or whatever, you can find hundreds of people slamming the movie and like whatever. But Honestly, none of that matters because it wasn't for those people. But if I help that one person, if you make that one person laugh with your sketch comedy, you know, not only is it not that only that one person, but that's enough. That's yeah. good enough, you know? And it's like, we're trying to use, like, we make our faith-based movies especially. It's like we're trying to bring things that are Judeo-Christian, you know, scripture or, like, teachings into a real-world scenario and try to use them as the illustration of our story. Like, our story is illustrated this concept yeah. um and a lot of those are beautiful concepts whether you're a christian or not you know they're about treating each other with kindness and love and generosity and hope and grace and stuff that our country desperately Absolutely. needs to hear you know? need so i feel good about it when someone is touched That's by great. it you know it's very easy right now for christianity i think to get thrown under a bus because we have a lot of bad representation sometimes but the reality is it's supposed to be about loving each other yeah and that's what humans should do. I think that's what The Last Unicorn reflects. It's Absolutely. really about loving each other. All these people selflessly went on an adventure. All of them, including the unicorn. I love you it. Know? Um, it's powerful amazing. stuff, man. Super powerful. Anyway, Andy, this has been a pleasure, dude. It has been. Anyway, I adore you. I adore you too, brother. 
Thank you for your time. Love you. Please say hi to your mom for me. When the last 